lot for USA, I think. Do you so see the I, Okinawa outbreak? There are protocols like this. Like you can't, Israelis can't go to Indonesia, for example. Yeah. I meant more of the hotel. Like, <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> oh, that's nice. The people in Australia who are under quarantine right now thinks that it's like a staycation because your food is served. It's a good quality food, very good hotel. Only thing is you cannot just leave uh, until, uh, I think, certain time period, two to three weeks. And uh, you have to um, stay there and you're getting medical care and it's kind of good. I bet the tourists Hiram, really love Hiram, this as I'm a I'm sure you will enjoy Singapore quarantine then. You can stay two weeks at Marina Bay Sands. Hotel wow, California. nice. Okay, so that would be my next trip, just to go for quarantining and some bad. Yes, and it's cheap. Cheaper than usual. Yeah, yes. Hotel the only thing, the only thing is, is you're not allowed to use the infinity pool. That's all for the view. It's all good. Okay, so I just started the Twitter space, Cheryl, if you could join me. Oh, jump on. Okay. And... I'll wait for people to join over there because I have a very simple ask for everyone, which is to attend a tweet at the top of the Tech News Twitter account, which I will now try to pin to the top of this room. I don't know if that will work, but let's give it a shot. We're crossing the streams. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ghostbusters style, yeah. Uh <laughs> Um, there it is. Go across the streams. <laughs> if you if you would help us by retweeting that tweet, that would be fantastic. And as we get people popping in, like Katie, into the Twitter space. So uh, we'll get started in just a minute. In one minute, so we can hopefully start on time. And wait, there's Cheryl, and here come now. People are starting to pop in here. Invite the co-host. And okay. So as I was saying, right when we opened the room, I think this is going to be a good one. Some interesting stuff happening on a Tuesday. A lot of competition today. I see at least four rooms. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about uh, Jack Dorsey and Web3, and we're that's the top story at the moment, so we'll start with that one, but there's a, really other, a lot of interesting other stories going on today. I found, I found something interesting. Which, in one of the rooms I was in on Twitter a moment ago, um, can somebody remember Nicholas's last name? Leon's L Y O N S. Do you want me to pin him? Yeah. I'll ping him in as well, that's a good idea. Leon's. There we go, we'll ping him there. And Donna was dropping some knowledge in the Twitter space room just a moment ago. <laughs> and uh, caught a bunch of those 
folks off guard. They had a really kind of good room going, but she, she was dropping some good wisdom on them. Okay, so welcome back, everybody. Let's get started. Where's the air horn? Here's how we do it. We, this is uh, Tech News Around the World. We meet every day, same time. Have been for doing it for nearly nine months in Clubhouse. And now we're starting to do it in the Twitter spaces because some people prefer the Twitter spaces. And yesterday we had a few hundred in Clubhouse and more than a hundred in the Twitter space. And they're, it seems to be growing over there and that's great. And we just came up with a new concept today that will hopefully even continue to increase the attention in the Twitter space. And I got a whole bunch of clever ideas to execute to help that. So, and one of the, one of the uh, quick asks is even if you're in Clubhouse and I totally respect that, that's why we keep the Clubhouse room going, you can help us grow the Twitter space by retweeting uh, the, the latest tweets from the Tech News Twitter account. So people over there can enjoy it. Even if you don't want to enjoy it over there, that's fine. That's why we keep it, it the, we keep the clubhouse room going for the people who prefer clubhouse, which I do too. So, uh, tag your friends, bring them in. Yeah. So, anyway, but today's an interesting one because the top story, uh, is a whole got a lot of the whole web talking, the geeks, especially the crypto communities, because Jack Dorsey causes controversy by criticizing Web3, tweeting. You don't own Web3. The VCs and their LPs do. And that means the venture capitalists and their limited partners. That's who invests in the VCs, by the way. And those are fun to basically do research on. No, most startups do not. And when you find out that you're actually funded by foreign states, you get very fun surprises later on. Right. And as Chris is implying, some of the people who give money to those VCs, those VCs have to, who give money to startups themselves, have to go around and pitch their, themselves to even wealthier uh, sources of money, which can be pension funds and sovereign wealth funds, which that, as Chris is exactly right, when you start taking money from sovereign wealth funds, sometimes that comes up with some really interesting strings attached. And Saudi Arabia notably is a particularly active sovereign wealth fund in tech VCs. And, this, and depending on, on on how people are feeling towards each other during one time or another, that can become like something that's like, wow, we're friends. Oh, wait, we're not friends anymore. And then, then you've got all sorts of extra complications. And then what's really fun about this is even the LPs don't necessarily know what startups they've invested in because the VCs, do, it, it, they trade on the lack of information. And that's where some of the arbitrage comes on. Uh, well, one more thing is that one of the things that VCs is tell startups sometimes is like, oh, man, you think it's hard raising money as a startup? Imagine doing it as a VC because you have even less value that you're basically creating in the world. You're basically saying we can figure and do uh, figure stuff out and do more due diligence faster than you can. However, if you're playing broker, there is ultimately a limit to how much information you can process where startups actually are creating some things. VCs are essentially trading on lack of information. So that does have some value, but it is it, there's a limit how much that can scale. So what you start seeing fun versions of that yet here with like what Jack Dorsey's calling out here. Right now, Jack knows a thing or two about VCs and LPs because Twitter has a board. It's a big corporate company, and he's got VCs and investors, you know, to deal with. <clears throat> 
which I get the sense he would prefer not to do, which might be one of the reasons why he is no longer at Twitter. And he says in this tweet, you don't own, there's this Web3, for those who don't know, just for the back, backing it up for the folks who don't specialize in that area of tech, is the terminology recently being coined to apply to um, the idea that Web 1.0 was people could write to the web, sorry, read from the web, and you could read anything that you wanted all over the web. And then in Web 2, you could write, meaning you were creating content. And that's Web 2. That's social media. You're creating the content. You're not just reading it. And then Web 3 is, quote unquote, you own the content in some fashion. Now, I would argue, my position on this is, is you, that's, that's in some sense true in the same way that is true to say you own a house in Mexico. Yeah, you have a you have a piece of paper, a document, something that says you own this house in Mexico. Well, why oh, about the moon? Well, in in reality, um, Mexico can take that house from you tomorrow if they want because they have an army, and they have law. You know, they have all. You know, in the same way, yeah, you might own that NFT, <laughs> you might own that uh, coin on that chain, you might, you know, and depending on the governance of that chain uh, or of that coin or of that nft or etc just like mexico and this is why you know there's different values perceived for owning a house in say america versus iran or china where uh because of the different laws in those jurisdictions you can think of that like there's different rules on and governances around different uh, crypto projects for example so to say Web3 tr is a term that kind of combines all chains and all coins and everything else. And to, so to say that you own it, well, yeah, in a way, you like I said, you oh, you can own a timeshare, you know, in in Cuba. Sure. OK. Um, Imagine you have a, a, the home example. Imagine you have a especially vindictive HOA that also has a homeowner association that also has the ability to change the rules on how the houses are run. Like, say, well, overnight they decide, you know what, we're going to put up a giant billboard right in front of your house. We're also going to block the, the the driveway. Oh, and by the way, we basically went ahead and filled the entire area with, you know, 30, 30 feet of water because we think it's essentially the more prettiest waterfront property and you're now underwater. That's the sort of bizarre architectural changes that can come when you yeah. own the platforms. And if you own a part of the platform, yeah, theoretically, you've got that, 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 that great real estate, but... The thing is, is that tech technologists have shown a willing uh, uh, need to basically constantly change things. And here's the other part that's a little bit more more nuanced. When you take venture capital money, you are telling the investors they will have an exit. This is actually one of the biggest surprises for startups is because uh, when they're first doing it, because they say, well, we want to build this thing to change the world. And it's like, but then your very first pitch deck is you will say, here is where we will basically sell out to one of our competitors. Here's the list of competitors that we're supposedly going to disrupt. And then and then you're going to basically sell to them and the investors will make 10x or 20x or however much their money is. You can IPO. You can IPO too if you're really lucky. Um, most yeah, but also are not positioned Chris, that way. 
to simplify that for some people as well, those are great examples. I mean, you can you know you can flood it with water, you can put in a trash dump next door, you can do all those things, and those are great real world examples. And to simplify it, people don't get these platforms are private, right? People are yes. take technology to yeah, they take technology, right? So what's what's the underlying technology, the layers under it? Is it running on the internet? Is it running on servers? What control do the people have who do it? And these are separate platforms. So as you're pointing out, each one is is not even a different country it's a different county i mean it's a different little plot right and they don't interact that's the thing people keep thinking oh the metaverse it's like no there's gonna be a bunch of these there might be one that gets network effects and this is the larger one but um all of these are separate individual projects and and going back to this web three it's it's people keep we brought this up in the security rooms last night people all think anything built on the blockchain is secure and it's you know smart contracts are infallible and that this is we're just going to see an explosion in the next year is what we're predicting because they're not they have human components and they also have technology and coding components so it's it's it, you know and again and to simplify it it's take it to where social media is right now you know facebook or any of the other ones can shut you down and you lose what you had there so same in any of these platforms you can you know it can disappear overnight um and if you're talking nfts any of the nft platforms can just go down overnight or lose your stuff so well, yeah I want to get back to Jack's tweet here so we can dive deeper into this point because he says, the VCs, uh, you don't own Web3, the VCs and the LPs do. And you could kind of make a similar argument that you don't really own your house, the bank does, in a similar, to take that metaphor one step further. Um, it will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into. Now that kicked off a firestorm of responses from people who are very pro Web3. And I, to me, the most interesting, he, he responded to a few of those responses that he got. And one of them was, somebody said, well, I don't know if I can trust you. You took a whole bunch of money from VCs. And he says, exactly. exactly. That's why I know what I'm talking about. Because he is beheld. Twitter is beheld to those investors and those stakeholders. And that's why... Twitter's he, a little more famous because they stayed essentially without generating profit for much longer than most other groups with things. And that's one of the things that they got hammered hard on as it was saying, it, with investors behind the scenes. And that was, while you're being in an active political position, Facebook had the same set of incentives on their side with things, but they took a very different path. And it's interesting to see how Jack essentially being in the company versus out of the company, essentially how feel free he feels speaking about this. Now, he also said something truly interesting. Somebody sent a photo of a recent Wall Street Journal article of Jack Dorsey, and it says, uh, and this is just from a few days ago, saying, ah, oh, there's this hot new thing called Web3, and they're trying to bring the web back to its roots and whatever, and it's called Web3. And Jack responds by saying, I have nothing to do with Web3. Wall Street Journal and others need names and photos to generate clicks. And another part about this, uh, uh, going back to Web 2.0, the, the version of 1.0 versus 2.0, that was Tim O'Reilly's whole thing saying, yeah. if for people that don't know Tim O'Reilly, he's the guy that did, uh, if you go to any programmer's bookshelf, there will basically be O'Reilly textbooks on the side. That's how a lot of programmers learn to code. Um, the reason why this is important is because it is a marketing term. It's something where they take a collection of disconnected ideas and technologies brand them in a thing that people can say that's recognizable i can invest in that or hey i'm a business person doesn't know anything about tech but those labels of ideas is that like that blockchain stuff it's like oh web3 well it's inclusive enough that people say my stuff is in that stack 
versus saying uh it's saying oh no that doesn't include x y or z whenever you see popular terms they will be as big a tenth as possible because that boosts the valuations and the market stuff as high as possible and then you basically hit the next train and then essentially people find out this is not descriptive enough and then we'll have to come up with new words and this is this this is the constant churn of tech to basically take old ideas and recycle them to make them look new so there was your one second here there's an interesting point in him saying i'm not web3 which is He's implying he and by his whole what's interesting about his tweet, which uh, I, I good amaze on stage in Clubhouse, because this is what we've been suspecting all along. And now he's saying it out loud, which is he wants to go fully decentralized by based on what he's saying. There's what he's saying is X. What he's implying is X cubed. What he's saying is uh, Web3 is, you know, it's just, uh, well, you know, another repackaging of what we've been doing. It's still owned. And you've heard our friend Nicholas Lyons, who does a truly decentralized, and he's been singing the song, uh, you know, stronger and longer than anybody, which is if it's owned by a company, if it has investors, if it has stakeholders, you don't own it. They do. And that's why he's building and he's been on that rant for a very, very, uh, in a very distilled way, in a very articulate way, he's really trying to drive home that point. And now Jack is doing exactly the same in this tweet, essentially, by pointing out that Web3 is owned and there's stakeholders and everything, that um, you're, you know, he then clearly he's implying he's not going to be part of that game. He's going to build a truly decentralized system like our friend Nicholas is doing with his decentralized ID system. Now, what I now here I said I found something very interesting. Here's what I found that was so interesting. Oh, uh, hold on one second, if you would. I have to mute the mics for one second. Um, I'll be right back. Okay, Tyler. Yes, uh, hold on. Nicholas just responded to say that he is in the crowd now, so he can't join. Okay, so here's what was so interesting. Is I was in a room. Well, I showed that he's on stage. I showed that he's in the room. Where's 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 Nick? Are you sure you want? No, no. He's uh, He's in the crowd now, so he can't unmute. Oh, even if he's in the invite room. on stage, Nicholas. There we go. Great. I'm glad Nicholas is here. So, welcome. hey, welcome, Nicholas. So I'll just I'll just tee this up real nicely for you. So, no doubt you've seen Jack's tweet, uh, as you just woke up ten minutes ago and on the West Coast. And yeah, I saw it. I yeah. saw it last night. <laughs> and um, and it sounds like what 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 Amay and I have been assuming for a while, which is that Jack wants to bring. Uh, everybody to the promised land as the Messiah and do things in a truly decentralized way. And and I know that seems not totally plausible because Square, the company that he's part of, is itself not, it still has investors and stakeholders. In fact, it's publicly traded. So what is he cooking up? Because I found a guy who I just followed on Twitter from my personal Twitter account. He's the most recent person I followed, and I only follow 423 people. His name's Daniel, and his bio says Decentralized Identity at Block, which is the new company that's you know Square just rebranded themselves as Block. And he says his title is Decentralized Identity at Block, and he says he was previously working on decentralized identities at Microsoft, and he fought for the web at Mozilla. 
et cetera, et cetera. So I just DM'd him to find out if I could learn more about what he's working on in quote unquote decentralized identity at Block, because as you and I both know, Block is a publicly traded company. So um, yet Jack is seems to be at least singing, saying the words out loud, uh, you know, that this Web3 is a bit of a dog and pony show. And he even accused somebody of when somebody was saying on Twitter in response to him, you know, uh, well, you know, this, this and that and the other thing. What about this and what about that? Jack said his only response was words, meaning that's not action. Yeah, that's, that's well, great. Mike does, yeah. Right. Yeah, Mike. to Mike. Exactly. So if that's the case, then he's even implying that he's going to put it into action. OK, well, I'm I'm incredibly eager now to see exactly uh, Jack put these words into action in a way that would he's not, he's go not ahead. Gonna he's not going to do that. <laughs> okay, but, so, now, but now so, he's putting, so, he's so putting himself kind of he's putting himself in a in a publicly verbal uh, corner. Well, not really, not really. Okay, so Jack has adopted. He's been a Bitcoin maximalist, and he's the you know his self appointed role is uh, you know being the Bitcoin messiah. That's that's part one. So Web3 is something that was branded uh, by the Ethereum crowd. So the first thing to understand is this is an Ethereum versus Bitcoin argument. Yeah. And fundamentally. what he's noting, fundamentally, and uh, what he's noting is that Web3 has got significant, if when people talk about Web3, they're not talking about the overall movement. They're not talking about this. This is when the Bitcoin person says it, they are directly attacking Ethereum. And Ethereum is not going to deliver Web3 because anybody who's in Web at scale knows that the Ethereum network cannot scale to offer and cannot price at a price that can offer a, you know, an internet scale service. It just doesn't work. And there are many critiques of it for many technical reasons that we can go into, but there's the gas fees, there's numerous elements of it. It's not, it's a good sandbox, but it is not the final product. His position as a Bitcoin maximalist enables him to, uh, he's got a big position and he's got, he, he left Twitter because he, the first place that you're going to start with Web3 is going to be in social and he's already working on that. He's working on that through a number of efforts. So we have to look at it in the context of he leaves Twitter because he's going to focus on Square. He's going to turn Square into Block because the blockchain is financial services merging with technology. And so he's making a good bet for himself to focus on the finance world. In the finance world, identity is critical because you cannot move money over the traditional rails without doing something called know your customer, which is KYC and anti-money laundering, AML. Well, Square has a very efficient operation in doing KYC AML. And furthermore, it is also lending money to its merchants. So he knows that the future of money is digital and that he occupies a unique space in that world because of what he's achieved with Square. He is playing a game of therefore negating anything to do with Web3 
and promoting the Bitcoin idea, which is that in his way of thinking is that Bitcoin can be Bitcoin, which is the most decentralized of the approaches, but it is digital gold. And the way that digital gold is notionally going to work is it's going to act as a cornerstone of a new system. That's what Bitcoiners think. They think that digital gold will mean that they will create fractional reserve currencies using Bitcoin as its anchor. So his storyline is plausible, but everything that he's doing is not plausible, including, you know, we engaged with him on his startups and Blue Sky and he backed Jay Graber. He just hired Tess Rinnison and the fellow that you're talking about on ID. Everything that they're talking about around ID and everything they're talking around the blockchain, you cannot do the way he's saying. So he's right in taking on those people because they're advocating something that won't work. And he's trying to put himself into a position where it enhances his reputation with Bitcoin and that he thinks people are going to forget that in every single chance he's had to build anything truly in a decentralized way, he has effectively, you know, uh, I want to use the right word, um, distorted its decentralized credentials. So this way he can split the Ethereum Web3 story. He can reinforce his credentials as a maximalist. And he can slip in the fact that Square is going to try and occupy that position, which connects the fiat world to the Bitcoin world, the fiat world being uh, government money. So he is just playing his own book for his own benefit. And the fact of the matter is, there is no way for him to deliver any of the promises that he uh, sees without compromising people's civil liberties, unless he was to launch a blockchain itself, which issues an identity. That's the that's the key thing is that the blockchain needs to issue the self sovereign identity. So when you say yes, we are an identity, but we are, we are truly the next generation of uh, the web, because you need security, you need identity, you need peer to peer exchanges, and then you need for that to be fractal. And when when I say fractal, that means that anyone should be able to issue uh, a token or a blockchain uh, themselves using their name, whether it's Tyler at Nick at whatever. And he cannot launch that because he won't have the level of control and influence. And so what he's noting is that Bitcoin is generation one decentralized, distributed and has not yet fulfilled its purpose because it's not composable. That's really the issue with Bitcoin is you can't create what Ethereum calls smart contracts. But the problem with smart contracts is that they are insecure and there's been seven billion dollars of money hacked this year alone, uh, pretty much from the Ethereum world. And so that's uh, generation two, good sandbox, doesn't scale. Then he's basically noting that the third generation chains like Cosmos, Polkadot, Cardano, etc., are VC, Definity, ICP. They are venture chains. And that's where it's saying his tweet made it very clear. Those are not decentralized because there's an individual or a VC plus their limited partners, their investors who own 20% of the world. You, you can't have that situation or 30% of the world. And everybody who's being pulled along with say Solana is another good example, is basically going on the VC ride, which is why you see your friend Jason and Shamath 
and David all talking about how much money they made in Solana and what geniuses they are. But that's literally how you know that that's not going to win because it can, you know, you can make money in the short term, but in the long term, that's not going to be the internet that is owned by the people. They are going to try and prevent that by trying to co-opt people to go with them. The fourth generation, the generation that is coming, in which I consider Veris to be the leading uh, candidate, is going to enable that truly decentralized distributed future where you have a real decentralized ID that is issued from a blockchain that is not controlled by any uh, large entity. And so, so Jack is right, but he's critiquing it for a different reason. And he's trying to make the point that if it's VC backed, if it's corporate backed like Ethereum, uh, it is not the real deal. Bitcoin is the real deal in that regard, but it needs companies that will interface with it. And he's positioning himself as that guy. Very briefly, just chiming in with that, is that uh, we're used to thinking of, of tech billionaires and such and as technologists. One thing that's worth considering for Jack specifically is it might be worth thinking of him more as a politician at this point, just because like literally Twitter became the arbiter of entire political careers. It still is in many regards. And it's something that being able to basically play different communities off of each other and say, well, this group wants this, this other group wants that. And then being able to understand the nuances of how that is technologically implemented. Um, Jack Dorsey's in a unique regard. We considering the political interests of these groups as well as the technology one, because the political parts are going to become a more dominant role in the near future as you start having regulatory bodies start moving into these spaces. Uh, or or technologists move into more highly regulated spaces. Well, that's the sign that you know that you know you've got a problem. Um, Jack was obviously extremely unpopular with the Twitter um, shareholders and almost uh, lost his job a number of times. I think if you've uh, read the the background on Twitter, and yes, he, you know the reason why one opinion shouldn't trust him is because he had the power to step in and change the political. Uh, viewpoint of Twitter. He had the power to regulate speech that was, you know, harmful and he had the advantage. In fact, um, he, it was his idea to politicize Twitter back in, I want to say 2006, because he literally tried to launch Twitter, um, 2007, I think it was, or, but basically around um, Clinton Palmer and the rest of the board wanted to stay away from it. Now, it turned turned out that politics was the same. It was a political forum. They did nothing, but nothing, to stop all of the hate speech and all of the bad things and all of the misinformation that goes on on Twitter. They actively understood created engagement. So, if you want that type of leader who sows discontent, discontent and torment um, in order to make money, that's the issue. Is that that is a uh, false messiah in the same way that all of those uh, chaps in Silicon Valley, I would say, are false prophets. They can be very smart. Balaji, Naval, they're very smart. But none of them, but none of them are advocating to donate to public protocols. All they do is they pay a little bit of lip service and end up actually donated to the Bitcoin core. That you could really want to build something by and for people. So you just have to watch it.
for, you know, yes, you're right, the politics of it. He is very political, the politics of it. But regulator should not be concerned for a decentralized project because if it's truly decentralized and distributed, the regulator really can't do very much about it at all. And that's the position you want to be in. Right, because the the wild stretch of a concept is that he would magically somehow take Square, now known as Block, uh, private and turn it into a DAO or something like that. It's worth seventy five billion. So think about it. It's think about it. If you look, this is what always gave me hope uh, in building something in, in, in truly decentralized. Was that these guys who have corporations where they've already taken the money they've got money fiduciary interest to those investors facebook can never become a dow because what are they going to do with all their investors money so here's trying to position himself in a place where he's more powerful like block makes good sense square block whatever you want to call it makes good sense because uh, i believe he has more power in that in that domain and it is the future where money is going and he wants to be there and he's smart enough to know that he's in the position of power to understand that but ultimately you cannot take, you know, have your cake and eat it too, which is why groups like us who are decentralized suffer because we can't hire at the because this has been put by everyone, you know, putting tons of money into crypto, into private crypto projects. It actually hurts the decentralized world because everything becomes more expensive. And similarly, um, you are not going to find investors who put money with you who, who are willing to then see their money given away that's just not a business that they're in so you know this is all smoke and mirrors and they're going to try and get people to fall in love with the ideas make it simple for them like with coinbase everyone's all excited about coinbase is a centralizing force basically everybody and puts everybody within the ambit of the american regulator so you know, people have got to keep their eyes wide open, but they, the professional investors are going to allow for uh, him to take that and 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 turn it into public uh, business. It, it would be impossible to do it. Part, Literally impossible. Part of the tech playbook is basically playing the sympathies of the public and uh, the true believer aspect, uh, where you, there's a constant thing of build a community. And one of the things about this is that you end up basically, when you're underpowered, you can basically say we have a larger ambition and that ambition basically uh, you know, overscores the profit motive. And what's interesting is that because people from outside technology don't have the discernment to differentiate between they're actually doing things for one reason versus they're literally just making money and using people, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing to make money and use people. The problem is, is when you basically confuse the two and you abuse the goodwill of a lot of people and communities, in fact, of very large networks. Um, uh, if you look at essentially a lot of stuff that Google did back in the day, where they said, oh, we're going to make the world's knowledge accessible. We're going to you know, scan all the library books. We're going to basically uh, you know, make information free for everyone. Uh, those were like appeals uh, directly towards the, the larger ethos. These were more ideas based on ethics or, or larger sense of social responsibility. That was where they recruited an enormous amount of goodwill uh, from communities, from basically from uh, from you know people with volunteer time and labor. Uh, many of their original business models actually weren't based on paying people. They were literally on the hey, you want to contribute to BAPS? It's a community project. Hey, you want to contribute to our you know three D layer of the world with Google Earth? It's 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 something we can all contribute to. It's something great. And that was part of that Web 2.0 energy is we're all in this together. What ended up happening, though, is that as these platforms got larger and they became extraordinarily valuable, uh, they 
basically putting a bunch of finance folk in charge and uh, uh, or the finance people that were in charge start to flex more. And anyone that's associated with the community endeavors basically got shut the back door. And now we're left with these giant behemoths that were built very much on uh, public goodwill and community trust and a lot of effort from a very large number of unpaid contributors who thought they were contributing to something for the greater good and are looking at, hey, this is just the same as the last guys. One thing in Google and specifically that they have is they are an enormous sponsor of the open source movement. And open source is a very important relationship with Web 2.0 because the idea of saying uh, you can't, you don't have to have to read from the web, you can actually write to it. And part of that was being able to contribute back to the original source code that runs it all. Now, open source is a lot of, that's a longer discussion, I don't wanna to go too much into that. But the reason why it's important though is that with a tweet here talking about Web 3, it's in contrast to this older method of doing things. They were trying to basically make a clean break saying rather than saying, People should contribute just for the greater good as just because of it. It's like, well, if we do like NFTs, maybe if we do like a compensation model, because that was something that Web 2.0 did not get. They fundamentally did not get the compensation model correct. Because a few business models left was advertising, and that led to a lot of our current situations. So where you're having to, you know, drive hate speech or, or you know, clickbait for for. Compensation models that somehow this will fix underlying issues. It's a great start, but fundamentally, if we're using the exact same tactics, it's going to lead to, uh, of saying, taking advantage of community goodwill, it's gonna to lead to some of the same uh, downsides that we've had with the last version. So this is these are this is active watching the art, uh, internet getting re-architected in real time. So fun time to jump into the space. On that point. <laughs> it's, yeah, I agree with Chris, it's the future. It's the future, but these guys building the source of communities that we joined you try to contribute, they've already picked who they work with. They they are not, I promise you, as someone who's actually working on it, they are not open to uh, outsiders. They've already decided it's all small. I will not trust the existing players, kind of echoing what Nicholas was saying. So here's, on that point, the guy, Daniel, who, who again, whose Twitter bio says, decentralized identity at block, meaning square, uh, he says three hours ago after this Jack Dorsey tweet that Web3, quote unquote, seems dedicated to ignoring decentralized identifiers plus personal app data stores and protocols. Even though these components can be used to solve almost all de decentralized app use cases far more efficiently, likely because they don't include tokens that enrich moneyed interests. Which he's kind of calling. Yeah, he's... he's, he's... Yeah, he's calling. They're calling it out. They're calling it out for their own benefit. What they don't seem to appreciate is that the only way you can create, and you can still have a token economy, and still have public blockchains, but you have to create your own Chain. public blockchain, yeah. Yeah. and it has to be free, open source software. And that means you need developers, and you need developers who are willing, essentially, to work for free which is like Chris was saying, the open source world is people who, who are literally love doing what they're doing and they're doing it because they want the commits, they want the reputation, they care <clears throat> about the software more than they care about money. And then they, what they realized was that every time you're invited to join a platform, what they do is you do the work, you do the work for free, and then the platform gets uh, consumed and you know someone else makes the money. And the reason why you couldn't share it before was that there weren't systems that could create trustless, permissionless, unstoppable networks. Satoshi resolved that. We now, it's just mathematics. So 
we now can use UTXO blockchain technology, the Nakamoto consensus, which is what we use, and you can extrapolate that. So what really everyone's telling you is that there's three types of plays and that none of them are yet the right thing. Uh, the Ethereum play, the VC chains are not the right way, and Bitcoin is the right way in one regard, that's its unstoppable permissionless nature. It, however, has a composability problem. And that is why it's not fit for Web3, which is why maybe Joe is that he can build on top of it as right. a private company right. and advocate for Bitcoin. But that's also going to be the solution. It's, you know, not the right thing. You know, it's just it's just not there's something else. there's another shoe that's going to drop and when that shoe does drop and everything is simple and easy and owned of by and for the people then you'll know that it's it's because you won't have tech dominating you won't have uh you won't need a, a voice dominating because everyone will be able to go oh i can do that and i can cut out the middleman yeah man Sounds like you're people will know, yeah. right? It's the tax takers. And when people talk about this, they just they forget that you pay 20. The average consumer products group pays 24 percent to Google of their of their budget. So if you're making a product, 24 percent of your budget is going to go to Google. If you're doing something, you know, with on Apple, 20 to 30 percent of your payments is going to Apple. Uh, and that's not, not even including government. We've got to take their take. This is unsustainable. But they own the network, what they call the network effect. You may as well just call that monopolies. We have an economy dominated by tech monopolies, and no one is willing to break them. Even the government, who took, you know, who have this antitrust uh, suit against these large, they're never going to win. They, you know, they are the uh, on the the goodwill of the platform, basically exactly. making sure their tweets are public. Exactly. So there's absolutely no way the government will win in these antitrust laws and moving, constantly evolving. And the technocracy, as we call them, have much more money than the government and much more personnel that they can mass against being regulated. So no one is going to actually succeed in regulating those guys. There's going to be smoke and mirrors and everything else. But at the end of the day, the economy cannot stand this taxation. It just cannot afford this taxation. It makes every business unprofitable except theirs. And that's what the government has to get to the position of. But the government is fundamentally corrupted. The system is the laws are written by corporations. And this was exactly heard me talk about it before. What Adam Smith talked about as the invisible hand when he talked about it as a moral philosopher, he talked about the invisible hand, not as the market, but as the corporations controlling the legislation that legislates on their behalf because they are large influencers of the political force because you need millions if not billions of dollars to run a campaign you will get no attention unless you have millions and billions of dollars and as such our system is in what we would call late stage crony capitalism and the change is going to come because when you have zero interest rate policy and you have a pandemic and you have the need for information oversight in every realm and the government is trying to in the infrastructure bill 
you know, control the, the, the citizenry down to $600 of spending, you know that there's a problem because if the government changes, you are going to be in their crosshairs. If the government goes, you know, rogue for whatever reason, they know everything and they know that all that information through those five core companies. And Jack is part of that group. And Square is fully dependent on having good favor with the political system. And they will warn him off via Sters if he has to pull anything that affects their bottom line. And Square is a public company. It will be reined in and he will be reined in. And he might do a flounce out of Square and say, I'm going to build my own, but he doesn't have the talent to build his own uh, decentralized network. He's, he is not capable of that. He's very good politically, but he's not uh, capable of building this. All right. Uh, <clears throat> any final thoughts on this one before we get to the second story of the day? I have comment with things when we're talking about the internet or replacing it and others. One thing to pay very close attention to, and this is something that a lot of technologists just frankly miss, um, the physical infrastructure of the internet is extraordinarily important. And it's something that uh, there's a bit of a parlor trick that goes on with the larger tech companies where they say, look, we're, you know, we've got the cloud. The cloud is a physical set of data centers that have physical locations with physical fiber connecting them and physical security guards and physical, basically, you know, splints on that going out to the spy agencies, et cetera. But the thing, the reason why that's important is that if you understand where the physical infrastructure is, a lot of these issues about whether countries have data sharing policies uh, because the physical fiber connects those physical data centers together. The reason why this is important is that if you understand how the physical structure is constructed, the cost for relaunching an internet or replacing it is very, very different from something that runs 20 layers up the abstraction stack. This is not some place that most groups are looking at, but for groups that are really interested in it, something that essentially there's a lot of pain fruit in that direction. So anyways, all right, uh, thanks for turning back over to an unconnected note. I just read a tweet by Elon Musk saying, has anyone seen Web3? I can't find it. Um, I know that um, you know, is my mic, is my connection bad or is everybody else's connection bad? Yeah, it is kind oh, of, it's kind of bad. Uh, yeah, it's a bit, okay. Um, okay. Hello, before you move on, right, there's another uh, blockchain-related article uh, uh -huh. about multi-chain. You want to bring that up first since Nicholas is here? Which one is that? You just go down the... Go, go down the It's about multi-chain. It's not oh, yeah. side multi-chain. Multi yeah, here's one. It says multi-chain, which offers interoperability tools for blockchains, including Ethereum, Binance, Smart Chain, and Avalanche, raises 60 million seed led by Binance Labs. Centralized, it's you know, when people are raising money from VCs and you see them announcing their seed round, it means they're a business. It means they're a if you're a corporation, you are not by definition decentralized and distributed. And because people want something, people you have to see someone saying donation. If someone came out and needed 60 million dollars or whatever it is to a community, that 
would be something. If Ken Griffin took his constitution that he bought for his son or whatever and donated it to the constitution DAO and said, keep your money, here's the constitution, that would be a signal. If you're investing money into a company, it cannot be the answer, right? Bitcoin is not a company. It is a decentralized distributed technology that enables peers to trust each other. That's what we're aiming for. Peer to peer exchanges without a middleman. Anytime you see a round announced, it means that that company is not going to be the solution. They may be part of the winning team if Web3 does not, or Web4, however you want to call it. Web, the reason why people say Web3 is dead is because they're trying to kill the association with Ethereum. And because everybody who's in the tech business knows that the Ethereum solution, which is what's proffered as Web3, cannot scale. It, it's literally limited by its design. And, and that is, you know, it's good that people are coming to that realization, but Web3 as an idea is not dead. It's only dead to people who understand that you're going to have to take billions of dollars to do this. And if you take billions of dollars, then those people own the business, not, you know, the general public. And, you know, that's all, that's all you have to look for. You want to know for a real project is did they take money from a VC? Did they take money from a corporation? Or do they exist on donations and community effort? I have right. a question, Nicholas. Can I ask you a question? Go ahead, Messi. Okay. So, are we uh, like, is there a truly distributed way of doing anything, really? Um, I, I, I was in a room this weekend and I heard something that's really striking for me is that um, even the blockchain itself um, is somewhere, right? It's it's hosted somewhere, somehow somebody is is aware of. So if you do have that, and if that person have actually the capacity to stop that, like even the Chinese government did or uh, and came up with their own digital currency or things like that, is there a way actually something is truly uh, decentralized or uh, we are just simply distributed. Distributed it means it's not really truly, truly decentralized, right? So you hit That's on a great question. point. You hit on a great point. So people always ask the question, why is Satoshi pseudonymous? Why doesn't he come back and tell everyone what's what and etc.? And the reason is because he is, you know, the critical piece of the puzzle and he understood from the beginning that he would be a point of centralization because basically he did most of the most of the work to in, innovate um, Bitcoin. So to your first question, is it possible to be truly decentralized? Well, it, it's in the beginnings, there's usually one uh, starter to these things. And Satoshi is the starter uh, of um, the Bitcoin network. And then you rightly allude to the fact that, you know, this has to be hosted somewhere. Well, that is the point of the technology is that everybody who's keeping a full node is able to um, propagate the network, essentially. And so this is where the fight came, the small blockers and the big blockers in Bitcoin, right? It's like, not it, how many people can store the ledger that gives it the protection the centralized forces that wants to regulate 
the you know the technology and so you've you've sort of answered and posed this exactly the issue that affects people that are building these things is that if jack becomes the leader of the new you know centralized uh, decentralized technology then it creates a, a a point of a choke point of weakness but it does mean that in every network there's a starter there are two different ways that you can actually create a blockchain one is well there are a few different ways but one is proof of work which is inherently fair so when you launch a blockchain people talk about fair launch a fair launch means that everyone is given notice to change to launching and that everybody has the opportunity to download the software and start mining together which distributes it so a truly successful blockchain needs to be distributed and decentralized and when we say distributed it means it needs to have the ability that everybody can download a node and can maintain the state of that blockchain the state of the accounting for where all of that money is so as, as simply as i can say it when you have something called so this is the other thing that everyone needs to look out for it started by a person and they're talking about vc money and seed rounds that's a bad sign if they're talking about decentralized identity and they came from you know microsoft and all these other places where they're not really trying to decentralize identity they're trying to own identity don't listen to them and the third thing is when they say that they're using proof of stake or de delegated proof of stake on its own as a way to be fair that also is not fair because if proof of stake favors those who have more money proof of stake is how much you're putting at stake into that network and this is a you know, part of it as well is that most people this is way too complicated and so the question that you ask is right it is extremely difficult to do it decentralized and distributed and the reason why it's difficult to do it distributed is as it gets bigger it gets harder to store that on a simple PC or, or hardware that can be owned by the individual. And in the case of what we're doing at Varus, we reverse engineered the, this so that the, we have optimized the CPU to be, be able to provide the proof of work, which enables fairness to anyone who has a PC and even anyone who has a, a, a mobile phone that they can participate. So it's a really good question. It's very well observed and it is, exactly correct that until everybody can do it it will be subject to the forces of government when anybody can just download a program onto their computer and be part of that network you then have the ground that you need the fertile ground that you need because the government would then have to reveal their hand and effectively go into every house and say you can't run that software and that's when free open source software becomes an item of law and it only becomes an item of law in countries that enfranchise freedom of speech. This is why it is not only a technology, it is not only finance, it's not only media, it is the basis of natural law because open source software, free open source software, it is a form of protected speech. It is just like you can write what you want, you can, as a computer programmer, you have the right to write that program. Now, if you Nicholas? You will might be regulated by the SEC, but if you just pro pro proffer this technology as something that people can use and that they can enable to do X, Y, and Z, it is protected by the constitution. And therefore, this is something that is very threatening to governments 
because they would have to reveal that you allowed free speech, but not when it comes to software that might affect our ability to control interest rates, inflation, and uh, favor those who have more money. And that's why open source software combined with decentralization and distributable systems is the hallmarks of the projects they want to see going forward. And anyone who's got a pure proof of stake chain, they know it's not fair. Speak to the Ethereum guys, they know it's not fair. So what they try to say is, oh, you start with proof of work and then you migrate to proof of stake. You start by giving everyone a chance and then you go to the guys who've got all the most money like they did. Obviously that is patently false. It needs to start and then it needs to spread and everybody needs to be able to keep it on the computer so they can say, hey government, why are you infringing on my civil liberties? Why do you need to know everything that I run on my computer? You, all you need is to rely on us to ask me to report. And then if it turns out that I'm not reporting and I'm buying Ferraris and I'm living in a $50 million house, dollar house and I'm only declaring $10 of income a year, then you should investigate me and put your resources on establishing what I am doing and what I'm not doing, right? That's the point. It's really a beautifully asked question, uh, Messi. Very briefly, Nicholas brought up a point about the uh, about single point of failure with Dorsey essentially, you know, taking on a position of, of, of power in that. Something to consider is is uh, you know, just very briefly going back to like you know two thousand eight or so with things a little bit before that with things with like Obamacare and such, and the whole thing is saying, hey, we should we should reshape system so we could have you know medicine like they have in other countries. What's interesting is because that affects 10 to 20 percent, depending on how you count it, of the economy with connected in some way to healthcare, to to uh, to hospitals and such. Any entrenched interest had an exceptionally large uh, uh, interest in massively distorting the public discourse around it. This is paying every PR agency This is paying essentially academics, et cetera, to basically distort people's perception of what actually is going on. And what's interesting is that when you look at the combined amount of forces that you look at this, the Web3 consortium thing of like, okay, you've got this, this combination of media for like, you know, all the NFT artists and everyone, you know, you've got, you know, Dorsey's entire thing there. He's got title and everything. So we've got like the media establishment thing. You've got finance. So you've got all the, you know, existing players and banking and uh, regulatory and all the aspects there. And then you've got uh, uh, all the things involved with the technology industry itself. And so when you combine tech, media, and finance, that's a pretty, that's a lot of entrenched interest right there. And when you have heavy regulatory moving in, you've got essentially freaking Ted Cruz talking about, we're going to have like, you know, wind turbines fueling uh, Bitcoin or whatever. Uh, the fact is, is that anyone that can be bought will be bought in the near future if they haven't already. If you have a media establishment that's going to basically just say, well, who's advertising with us? Who's going to basically pay the bills? They're going to be calling in favors about now. So expect a lot of the discourse around this to be shaped not by people that are genuinely putting time into researching this but more people that have existing stakes and what the outcome is to basically be affecting what the discourse around it so that's just a little bit of warning and yeah uh, you, we've seen this happen in prior sectors and those same parties that you know screwed things up for healthcare and oil and all other things are coming in this sector as well so it'll be fun to watch essentially how, how people are uh, are able to, to sort through that okay so the next uh, article, and before I read the next article, I have to remind everybody that uh, we are multicasting on both Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces simultaneously. We have an audience of 333 in Clubhouse by my count and another 
64 in Twitter at the moment. And everybody's able to jump on stage and grab the mic and share. And everyone from both sides will hear everybody. It's kind of magic how that works. Like Messi was on Twitter talking with Nicholas uh, in Twitter, in Clubhouse. So um, the next article is that OnlyFans founder Tim Stokely is stepping down as CEO and names head of communications and marketing uh, Ami Gan as his replacement. Stokey will remain as an advisor to OnlyFans. Then we get to There's the financial element. That's that's the finance system. Just so yeah. we're clear. Yes. That uh, is the, so as, as Chris was just saying, that is the financial interests who are yes. closing in because OnlyFans operates in an area where morality comes in and you get the religious right that is uh, campaigning against the rights of those individuals. And that's freedom of speech too. Those OnlyFans creators are paying a 30% tax and if you're in the adult business, you are paying to get your transactions processed, something like a 10% uh, or eight to 12% um, cost of finance. Now, that's because people don't like uh, people selling um, you know, th their physicality, but that is a multi-billion dollar business and they almost managed to shut him down, but he found another banking partner. So to Chris's point, all of the powers that be this we are in a meta when i say meta not like meta verse but a meta game which is this technology crypto and web3 is above nation state it can go you know think of it as being in the stratosphere it can connect people all over the world but that is a major threat and so this is a you know only fans is a great example of how free speech is not applied equally and then a certain the weakest groups are either taxed by pimps on the street or they're taxed by uh, the institutions who want to say no you're not allowed to do that because we've decided that if you want to sell uh, your yourself uh, your physicality that's unacceptable you're only allowed to sell the way we tell you to sell i think well, that's right. something that's we, we read the headlines it was about three or four months ago where they were looking like they were going to have to shut it down completely and it was a bit peculiar and a bit nebulous as to what was really going on, but it seemed it was obviously related to the financial aspect of the company. And Payment some were, processors, yeah, same. Some were blaming naming Mastercard specifically, and it is, yeah. And then that gives you a great indication of actually why the power of a truly decentralized finance, if they had that in place. They would no longer be uh, de, you know, decommissionable, deplatformable uh, in that way, right? And which why would enable why? people power, right? Right. If the right. creators were able to use a truly decentralized system to sell their uh, likeness and images to their fans, they wouldn't have to pay twenty to thirty percent commission to Tim Stokely and his cronies, and they wouldn't have to, um, and they wouldn't have to kowtow to Mastercard who has to um, satisfy the religious right. Or whoever, because it might not, it could be somebody who just, uh, you get enough people who dogpile onto a particular bottleneck in your stack, and next thing you know, you, you've essentially been sort of rug pulled. So same thing happened to the weed industry with stuff. They were having to boot forklifts with pallets full of cash because uh, yep. the, 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 no, the banking payment processors would touch it if it did interstate commerce because they didn't want to fall under DEA stuff. 
So they, it's like, wow, they got pallets full of crash. Yeah, now you need to pay for the armed transports, the guards and everything. They were literally burning like 10 to 15% of the revenue just on physically moving the money around. So that sort of, you know, vice tax or the, you know, that sort of like transaction cost increasing, that, that's, that's, you know, it's kind of similar to when you look at like the war zones or whatever. Like it's like, okay, you want to move it into an area where you don't have a stable set of institutions that you can rely on. Uh, that is very much a factor there. You're absolutely right. And Jay-Z, uh, who has a dispensary in Los Angeles, doesn't even have credit card processing in his store. Um, so, you know, you can tell and they force them to use cash in ATMs, which then charge, you know, 3% on cash withdrawals. The whole system is set up to say, you know, this is the game. And if you don't play it that way, we're going to browbeat you into othering uh, other sections of the community. And you have to say, if you can't stand up for adult uh, use case then why would you stand up for you know software developers why uh, software developers have some first uh, first uh, uh, amendment constitutional right and uh, people who sell their uh, physicality don't that's that's what you're asking us to do and this is where i think you know we in the declaration of independence and we have to move for a digital declaration of independence it needs to say we hold these truths to be self-evident cryptographically and Cryptographically speaking, uh, a woman or a man who wants to sell their physical likeness on OnlyFans and not have to pay a middleman is exactly the same as, to my mind, as software developers who want to release open source software and have peer-to-peer -peer exchanges. So, I love it. Right a Brit, a Brit referencing the Declaration of Independence. That's fantastic. I irony. <laughs> It's well, almost I, I, a necessity. I'm, I'm, an immigrant, uh, I'm an immigrant Englishman, so, you know. I, I <laughs> yeah. One thing we don't have to... Hi, guys. It's Hamish. <laughs> Long yeah. time. Uh, you know, one thing... Gun dealers still have problems, right? With processing? With yep. the credit card companies. So it's still an ongoing issue. If gun dealers can get processing, that's uh, a whole other ballgame. The groups of who can get and who can't become essentially another avenue, essentially, for a, a de facto cultural regulation. But the thing that's interesting is that the list of who's currently in favor and who's not can change, and it can change very quickly. And the fact is, is that when something, when we, uh, when any group wields that amount of power, it starts to become an issue because those groups can be leaned on. It's interesting to note that uh, many of the credit card companies don't necessarily, they do, but they don't necessarily have an official stance on many of these vices. The thing is that they do have basically shareholders and they essentially are vulnerable to pressure from different pressure groups, like say, you know, religious right and such. But the reason why this is important is to consider essentially as the number of stakeholders that basically control the financial system become less and less, fewer and fewer, more and more heavily concentrated, that's less people they need to lean on. Um, so wherever there's a choke point, that means that essentially if a social movement goes off the rails in one way or the other, everyone else essentially can be left holding the bag. So the more that we have that is more of a shared responsibility, the more we can have more of that civic engagement factor. But right now we're a lot of these things are going wrong in tech. A lot of these things going wrong in finance are more symptoms of essentially lack of uh, effective governance or lack of effective uh, communities and civic uh, virtue stuff. But those are larger trends. Uh, those are larger term, longer term type kinds of things to fix. So we can fix the root symptoms. We can fix the service stuff. But there's there's going to be a longer term trends that we have to adjust eventually. I couldn't no, I agree could, with you more, Chris. You guys are to... talking well, kind of like for people like to 
to give some examples to these as well. Like you're talking about people or people want things regulated or not regulated. And then you're pointing out the difference between social groups like the Christian right. Um, again, these are things where somebody might be doing something that's wholly legal or legal within their state, like a dispensary or, you know, across state lines, et cetera, um, that a group decides that it doesn't like and the, the public pressure for that precludes them from doing it. So as you're saying with the vice taxes, I mean, if you look at the um, OnlyFans pages, I mean, I've always felt that, um, you know, all sports teams, those guys are selling their bodies as well, but for some reason that's acceptable. So, that, you know, people are deciding what's acceptable use. So people have to, 100%. you know, through all the community and, and community involvement and in, in driving these, um, you know, how these are, what pressures they do fall to in addition to regulation. It's a lot of social pressures and community. I think that's wonderful. You know, both of uh, you made wonderful points that, that go to, and, and specifically, I think what Chris was saying was that in what we're seeing is a singularity. What we're seeing is social and media and technology. Everything is coming down to identity. And that's why we're involved in a lot of identity politics. And that's why the othering, whatever the othering, whether it's the vices or whether it's, you know, becomes legal and then it's legal in one state and not legal in another is reflective of the identity of the electorate. And that's why, again, we should be agitating, forget the constitution, we should be agitating for a digital declaration of independence because truth has is no longer self-evident because the truth is controlled by those who control information. And what we're witnessing, again, is this is a feature of late stage capitalism or crony capitalism because politics and economics are deeply intertwined. And then when people are effectively in the same way that you get people power that pushes a MasterCard and Amazon to say, forget about those vices, it's not worth having the aggravation because we've got trillions of dollars that we're making in our main business. That's how you effectively marginalize groups. And as you say, you're not big enough for us to care about your rights, but that's not what a corporation is designed to do. The corporation is designed to make money for its fiduciaries. That's why the idea that Square is going to let, you know, become a DAO is not likely, right? Because they don't have that responsibility to everyone. They have the responsibility to shareholders. And this is where democracy becomes the, the final pillar of what, the technology is supposed to do is because if it can secure your money and you can trust it with your money, people are going to feel comfortable trusting it with their vote and your vote needs your identity and your vote plus your identity plus your money in the system is what's going to give you more confidence. And it's this, the ability to vote and the ability to affect policy, which is going to be the final superpower of this uh, technology evolution, because it's the ability to remove propaganda from those information stores through storing information accurately on a public blockchain that is going to enable an improvement of peer-to-peer -peer relationships and trust. And it will fix politics if we can get to a solution that is not going to be Bitcoin, not going to be Ethereum, not going to be any of the venture chains. It's going to be the next step of this uh, world that we're entering into, but it is about society and it's about evolution and peer-to-peer -peer trust is the key, to, you know, innovation of the, of, of Satoshi Nakamoto. That's what, forget Bitcoin, that alone is a mathematical innovation that changes the world. We can trust each other. We just need to put together all these pieces.
Yeah, that's that's the power of blockchain to me. And I want to key in on a couple of things that you just said, which was part of data sovereignty and then also what people care about to put online. So understanding just like the psychology around having these things out there and what and who would actually want this out there like and i feel more so than anything people want to be able to decide which information they give out rather than everything being out there so being able to feed or even sell you know what color i like look the government has my identity they know how i bank they know you know my mortgage rate and everything else but they don't know what food i like they don't know um who I like today, they don't know all of these other things, but this is what the social media companies like. Like I've, I'll give you um, even just an anecdote to that, which is um, I have one personalized ad. Um, I used, I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't, um, how, how do you say it? I couldn't click reject all. And then now I'm being targeted particularly by my race, by um, a couple of companies on Instagram and on YouTube which I've never been um, targeted before on. But um, that's I say that to say um, these people didn't know who I was until I gave them something personal. And that is the separation between what people will want to give and what people um, have to give. And if I have to give something to someone, then that's not sovereignty either. That, and that's, not true. that's not true. That's not true. If, that's, if you have to do if, something. If it's a duly authorised authority then like a driver you get stopped on the road and you need to present your driving license they are duly authorized and you should provide them with that information um to, what I think... to see if, if if someone wants to just see something that's like one thing right if someone wants to have and to hold forever oh, perfect point perfect point right so so the point that you make so eloquently is that of course you need privacy as well as um decentralization and distribution and this is where again the government and the powers that be are trying to clamp down on privacy coins, uh, rightly or wrongly. And what one needs to understand is that because blockchains are transparent, they also need additional technologies. And in those additional technologies, you, you can apply what is known as zero knowledge proofs, which enables one to uh, address Damilaire's point, which is that you are, sometimes if you're a citizen of a country, you have to give certain information. The question is, where do you store that information? Who, in, who owns that information? And a great way to think about this is the words of Shoshana Zuboff is who knows who, who uh, watches and who watches the watchman? And so, um, well, who knows who decides and who decides who decides? That's the framework to think about all data. Who knows that data? who decides and who decides who decides. And that uh, should give you a way to think about it. So Damila, you're absolutely right. You need privacy as well as security, and it needs to be decentralized and distributed, and it needs not to be owned by a meme lord uh, like Jack or a meme king like Elon, but they will make their plays because they are power players in this game. And the people need to uh, make their play as well and say, we have rights. We have rights as individuals that when we become a collective, we can agree what we share and what we don't share. So um, I, I have to jump in at this point um, regarding privacy. Uh, at le and this is because, Nick Nicholas, you mentioned the singularity. I've been uh, working on advanced molecular nanotechnology for a very long time. And that's that's a different uh, pillar 
of the singularity and people have kind of forgotten about that. Uh, but uh, as far as any anybody who uh, develops hardware or uh, can, can influence or coerce those who develop uh, hardware, if we do not want to risk uh, essentially gray goo or something e equally bad, uh, privacy is over for anybody who can influence that. That's a whole nother discussion, but I just want to throw that out because you're talking about architecting uh, essentially everything and that's that's going to have to be part of it. And we can discuss that at a future time. No, no, you're absolutely right. We, you know, the foundation of Varus is uh, truth and privacy. And privacy requires, as you know, zero knowledge proofs, and it requires that um, you can provide attestations to information, and rather than give people the rights to hold data that they have no right to put into a honey pot that can be used against you, and you should be able, to Damilara's point, um, to monetize yourself at, at your own whim, whether you want to be an OnlyFans or, as um, as uh, who said that Jennifer said. Um, you know, if you're a sportsman, you're 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 employing your body for for your for your trade as well. So this is what's so exciting to me. I think these are exciting things. If we have a dog in the game as the people, I'm I'm excited about that. You know, that's what we're trying to do. And yes, you do need altruistic people. That altruistic people do exist who say, you know, I know that I'm not going to be able to compete with Google or Jack or they're too far ahead. But if you build something in the public domain then the public can get behind it because there's one other piece of the puzzle and that's incentives and humans respond to incentives very well. And if the, those incentives are self-evident that they benefit themselves, they will soon move to the new technology. And so if you have truth and privacy and you own it and you get to be the trillion dollars, you know, network and it's owned of by and for the people, the people will cotton on. And there's a lot more people who are not part of the system than are, and so you just have to have, you know, a compelling technology that is, you know, as per my uh, avatar, enables fitness versus truth. You know, incentives are the fitness function. The truth is the media and the mimetic. Hi, so, Nicholas. So just, if, I just, if I can oh. just finish the point, Laura, sorry. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, perhaps I, I wasn't entirely clear. Uh, anybody who can uh, affect at least the fundamentals of, of hardware um, really has to be uh, subjected to a, a super radical transparency regime. Uh, and, and the reason for that is kind of summed up rather well by uh, um, a quote, which I believe is properly attributed to Marvin Minsky, though I, I haven't been able to, to substantiate that. Um, uh, nuclear weapons don't scare me. They don't reproduce. Can I ask my question now for Nicholas? Um, so Nicholas, I keep hearing the for the peoples. Um, I'm curious because uh, who owns the wallet companies? Who owns the uh, bidding? I mean, the places where you're bidding on NFTs and the protocols. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about the peoples, but there are still question. power structures, right? So you make, uh, first of all, great observation. So this has been of the generation one, generation two, generation three, oh, people are, you know, our jury's out about where we are generation two versus three. But the problem that we have is that the technology, because it doesn't have a holistic identity solution as part of its design, Bitcoin uh, uses a private key, which is not user friendly. 
and you know uh, ethereum uses an account-based system but when we look at that exact question what we see is that marketplaces emerge like coinbase that become a choke point that become a regulatory point and become a place where vcs make a lot of money and customers are onboarded into the technology but they're not really onboarded onto the technology they're onboarded onboarded into a layer of abstraction away from the technology which is the <clears throat> economic part of the game right they just say oh number go up you're happy you own you own your bitcoin okay so that's a feature of 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 generation one let's say bitcoin is coinbase is a good example of that then you've got generation two and say ethereum where you've got um a sandbox where you've got ico business and lots of brokers jump up and and, and, and make money and create business and then you get DeFi, where you have these DeFi um uh, uh providers of interest or yield to people who hold digital assets and then you have the nft market which is the, the most mimetic of the markets where people start to get what this new concept is and the nft markets throw up, up OpenSea and rarible that become like sotheby's and Christie's, christie's and they are charging a 20 to 30 percent and they are gatekeeping these markets in the next generation of the technology we just actually launched this to mainnet is you have the ability to exchange peer-to-peer any of those items and to make those items discoverable as um, as attestations to cryptographic proofs because you have identity and this is where it starts to become a little bit esoteric but everything in our world is made up of words if you want to come and buy my house you could write a, a contract that you're you know on your machine on your computer today and say oh i agree to buy nick's house for a dollar but the fact of the matter is that unless it has uh, the right form of words, and unless it has your signature and my signature, that form of words, that contract has no force. And the 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 the, the words, you know, that's the idea of contract. You know, is interesting, but without signatures, you don't have the force of law or the force of enforcement. And in order to have a signature, you need to have an identity, and that identity is an nft because it's one of one it's the signature that enables me to sell my house right it's it's the signature that is empowered with legal force and so identity plus security is uh, are two pillars and when you have identity you can then purchase something that has an identity so an nft is only an identity if it's a picture it's board ape yacht club dot um the description of that of that item and then who you know and then rights that attach to it right that's all it is it's an identity which is why people think of identity as being about groups or about you know individuals what it is is about words that have enforceability of signature have evidence of ownership that you want to exchange peer to peer it's a value exchange that happens peer to peer and the peer-to-peer -peer element is the bit that is not yet right in the regular technology because you need middlemen to discover what's cool on OpenSea and Rarible or whatever. And that's where you've got Tyler and the Winklevi and you've got the VCs and they're all playing in those roles and they're making money. But in the next generation, which is upon us, you will have the, those items will just be identities that will have rights attached. And what you're going to see is musicians will issue as, you know, Prince, who was a big advocate for this. So Prince dot sign of the times dot, you know, purple rain dot, you know, etc. And so these will just become strings of words 
And it will be shown that that's the right original piece because it's signed by the estate of Prince At. And that way you will enable peer-to-peer -peer exchanges that don't need to go through those marketplaces. Information will surface and what the internet becomes, I really don't talk about this very often, is deep questions as a service. And depending how much information you want to share will be the UBI that you get back from those who want to speak to verified identities. And those verified identities, you should be able to complete, have completely private or if you need to put out information that gets you good deals, you will receive those from your fellow uh, you know, uh, businesses. And that will not go through Google and it won't go through Amazon and it won't go through Apple's advertising. It will go through the collective ability to verify and then trust. And that is going to lead to an age of abundance, in my opinion. So the answers to those questions, though, uh, e even if you totally trust uh, the counterparty at one point in time, uh, it's unclear whether the successors will be uh, as trustworthy. Um, and, and this can take us down uh, kind of a rabbit hole of, well, you process it through AI, for example, that is run uh, by a DAO uh, or, or, or some, some sort of uh, under some sort of algorithmic governance. But uh, the point Absolutely. here is, is that all of those things are subject to exploits. Absolutely. So this is where you have to decide, do you believe in a, a, a government's right to do that? That's social credit system. That's China. And the Chinese people, I get a lot of feedback on my pod podcasts and stuff like that, where people say Chinese people contact me because we have a big community of different diverse people. And they say, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, we like what the government's doing. And, and you're like, oh, well, if you grew up in that system, you'd, you would think that. that. That makes sense that you would think that. And so that's really about conscious agency. And so, you know, you're getting into very, and I thought your quote was, you know, Minsky quote was extremely deep. And I'm going to have to rethink about that. But the, the point being is that we have a choice. You're going to either live in a world where you've got autocratic leaders who um, don't care about democracy and constitutions and, and all the evolution of the French and American schools. And they are, you know, Xi Jinping and, and, and Putin and people like them in their countries and they are, and some people hate them. But at the end of the day, those are players in the system. And then you've got the American system, which is corporatist essentially now, where the corporations write those laws, just as Adam Smith warned. And those inf that information is controlling people and the government have really a de facto hand over those guys because they regulate them. And then you've got over the top coming these new technologies, which do need privacy, as Damilara said, and they will you know, need to negate marketplaces emerging. So they need to be peer to peer and being peer to peer. They need to be distributed and decentralized so that you can avoid being you know, censored. But then John makes the amazing point, which is such an amazing conversation, Tyler, that it takes us to AI. And this is where public AI, you have advocates who go, oh, public AI, and then they sell 20 percent to Microsoft. And so you realize that public AI is going to be an emergent feature of a truly decentralized and distributed blockchain, because if we don't have public AI, there will be a master race and there will be those who don't have access to that AI who are contributing their data through these corporations or through the government and effectively are no longer uh, self-sovereign conscious agents. So again, if you look at my avatar, you know, that's what we, you know, that's the most reductive way you can think about this is that you need to be self-sovereign, but you also need to be a conscious agent. 
and you have to realize how you make decisions. Some of them are genetic and some of them are mimetic and mimetic power is stored in the culture. And that's why we've got what we've got going on with Omicron. And that's why we're going to realize that it's not only about what happens in America, it's about what happens everywhere else, because, you know, we are one. And this is where people are moving into, you know, the real philosophical, you know, Akashic, uh, you know, Adamic body of the humans are, you know, a species. And we need to co collaborate and cooperate at scale in order for us to optimize our opportunities. And then people go communism and socialism and go, no, you can still have a natural way that people can differentiate themselves, but it doesn't have to go through centralized marketplaces. People can establish these new rules through uh, data that is verifiable, cryptographically provable and private. And this is the future. This is, this is what I would call web four or, you know, you know, hey, hey, fourth generation. Hey, Nicholas, um, we talked about this briefly before, but I think it, it might be a good point for you to share your views on this. Uh, and I'm sure you recall the conversation, but um, a mature, robust infrastructure to do what you're describing, which I fully support, um, would include uh, simple onboarding uh, from the time of birth on, simple offboarding uh, from the time of death or withdrawal, um, and then uh, some form of quarantining and recovering your identity once stolen. The last piece of that uh, series um, is how the migration occurs from the incumbents uh, that are venture funded uh, into uh, the open source world in a way that doesn't invite identity theft because the incumbents will have all yeah. the identity to do the identity theft. So um, if you could share your thoughts on those four issues, that would be awesome. Wow, that, again, amazing questions. And I'm Tyler, I'm, I, I'm, I'm nervous to answer this question from <laughs> your room. Go ahead. But I can answer it if you want. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, John, you make a perfect observation. It is absolutely critical, and it's the weakness of Satoshi's design of the private key, public key, is that it's difficult. People don't like hexadecimal addresses. They don't like managing their own keys. They, there are issues. There are reasons we have banks, which are not only because they, you know, they take money in the middle and they enable lending, which is something that will be innovated in on is that is that they have a relationship to your identity, et cetera. So, and you can protect yourself from a $5 wrench attack and, and, and someone stealing, you know, coming in and stealing your identity or your money, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. And the importance of what John has said is, you know, cannot be understated. Losing your identity in a blockchain world and not being able to recover it would be like uh, having Alzheimer's or dementia. You, you would lose your consciousness because your identity is your digital reflection of your digital consciousness. Now, at the moment, people, other people own your digital consciousness and the consciousness of the mimetic groups that are surrounding us and are dictating our social cultures and, and are enabling our political uh, forces through the mimetics of the media, right? That's what's going on. If you look at, again, the, my avatar, it sort of explains this. It's There's an input field, which is your perceptions, your five senses, that's the genetic. And on the other side is the mimetic, that which propels larger groups of people. At the moment, there are groups of uh, uh, technologists who own your perception field. And the more you use the Oculus and they read your eyes and everything else, there's going to be more and more of that. And there's going to be identity touch that, which is exactly what the you know, WorldCoin was trying to do, which is a disastrous idea. Don't get your eyes scanned. That's a very bad idea. Um, 
the 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 issues of identity are first to understand that this is your consciousness if you have a digital declaration of independence that means that you own your identity you have free will that makes you a self-sovereign conscious agent if that identity is issued to you from a public blockchain not by a company not by microsoft did not by did none of this nonsense that's controlled by political groups it has to be of by and for the people that's number one then john makes the point you need to be able to issue that identity autonomously that's the challenge then you need to be able to revoke that identity if god forbid you have given away your private key for whatever reason and you need to then be able to recover that identity such that you can never lose your consciousness you can never lose your identity and you can secure it that's the challenge that is uh, um, uh, laid down that's exactly correct and then there's furthermore is how do you onboard people and how do you offboard people because identity persists after your death because you have an estate if you're prince the estate if you're andy warhol there's an estate so when you're talking about NFTs and you want to talk about Andy Warhol, you say, well, Andy Warhol is a brand. But what is it? It's just words. And those words have to have the ability to license things. They need people to do that at the moment. But in the future, a name needs to be able to be offboarded, and then it can exist. But that identity could be owned by uh, Andy Warhol's inheritors or Picasso's inheritors. And they have the rights to issue prints, which are one of many so you've got andy warhol originals signed by andy it's the signature that gives it its provenance and then you have uh, the prints which are one of many that's nfts where that's like adidas get bored buy a bored ape for 300 or thousand and then sell 24 million dollars of prints to its community same thing right so that's one of many and then you have paper click which is in the music business which says hey why don't we all own this song and the clicks get paid to the holders of that currency because it's just an identity. So this is why identity is important in the realm of where we're going is that identity is at the root. It's the root of trust and that root of trust must never be lost. So one has to be able to revoke and recover it. And you also have to be able to onboard it and offboard it. That's John's question. And yes, we did take that into account. Yes, that technology has been at mainnet since 2019. You can have a primary ID, you can revoke it, you can recover it. And we just put vaults on mainnet so that you can have a vault that you can have a, a time locked so that you, even if you were to, uh, you know, uh, to uh, give away your, current account let's say your cash uh, you would be able to lock all of your uh, assets in a vault and that vault can be unlocked by your inheritors so the onboarding and offboarding has to be smooth it has to be simple it has to be self-sovereign but you need to be able to allow corporations into that and that's where you have by having a three-piece resolution and a primary idea a recovery idea and a, and a re revocation id you have the ability to give and split those keys that's what's called multi-sig in, in in the blockchain world is that you should have the ability to say give one to your wife and give one to your children and you have many if you've got five children you can have five multi multi-signatories and that they can unlock your id if you were to die and all of that id can then be recovered and a new private key can be issued to the new owners of the inheritors of that digital value that john is exactly what you would need to have built and you would need to have built that from a blockchain that was launched fairly 
and had no VCs and no whales and no pre-allocations to anyone and no ICO that we did. And it, that it needs to be able to then be simple and easy to understand for anybody. And then, you know, this is where services come 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 about, you know, they can be recovery holders and, you know, uh, recovery key holders, and they can provide service by, by issuing IDs and giving people IDs, just like AOL gave people their first um, uh, email addresses. So yeah, brilliant question. Yeah, one, one other corollary of that, Nicholas, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. We've already seen crypto napping where uh, people who are public about their large crypto holdings have been kidnapped uh, in order to uh, steal their uh, access. Having time locks. Yes. Having yes. time locks and multi-sig solves that problem because you can't, if you've got a 21-year you know, time lock on your money and it's, and it's in a transparent staking address, so you don't want to have your vaults, um, you don't want to have your vaults uh, in a way that stops you from participating in the economy because that would be obviously not good. So you have to be able to have a vault where you can effectively stake and uh, protect yourself from, you know, the reason why banks exist in the first place was to stop people coming around and, and threatening to kill you. So you have to be able to do all of that. And yes, we did, we did think of that as, as community and these, these, these technologies exist and, you know, um, people that, will start that, to that may ultimately, that may ultimately prove to be one of the key differentiators between an open source solution and an equity funded solution is the extent to which you can advertise that you will not be kidnapped and tortured to steal your identity. Um, and so, uh, sorry for the dark uh, view of that situation, but since uh, crypto jacking has already occurred, or uh, crypto napping, um, I think being really thoughtful about this um, will allow uh, some of the people who have huge assets uh, to subscribe and to support the initiative. Uh, absent that, they're going to view it as a, a threat to their life. That's why you also having uh, zero knowledge um, privacy, um, you also enable people to be completely private. And so these are, these are the features of the, you know, you're asking, everyone's asking amazing questions. And these are exactly the features um, that one would have had to have built and one would have to have built as a community and without taking money from other one else who's going to seek to influence you. And that you've hit upon the jackpot, which we understood, which people are now coming to understand is that you need an inherent, you need an, a network effect has to turn into a network economy and a network economy needs to have um, something that's fundamentally of value. And the identity is what is fundamentally of value. And so the identity is being issued by a blockchain that you can use as, and you can price enables the economy and sustains the economy because all of the minting of those IDs um, goes back to the miners and stakers of the network who run the protocol on the computers that you know everybody who's got a regular computer, or even a mobile phone, can participate. And and yeah, that's it's it's great to hear these questions. This is exactly what, how this technology was designed, and um, and people uh, therefore will benefit from being part of it. So identity has a value identity is the unique thing you know everyone has a name but your name is is not you know there are other nicholas lyons there are other tylers there are other uh, every uh, names of everyone i think pretty much where you become unique is in this new world and that's a, that's a big idea and you want to own that name and you want to own that identity and you want to never risk losing it because you're going to craft it your whole life and it's going to be imbued with value through the attestation of your peers and it will fulfill the promise of 
being judged by the content of your character and not uh, your uh, other identifiers. Okay. So uh, uh, the next article is related. Uh, just as, again, a very quick reminder that we are on both Twitter spaces and Clubhouse simultaneously. And the next article is from the New York Times that crypto and blockchain startups raised $28 billion this year, which is up 400% from last year, according to PitchBook. As large tech companies lose executives and engineers to crypto companies. True. Uh, David Marcus, one of the most senior people at Facebook, just stepped down um, in the past few day, days and weeks. You know, I, I think he's officially leaving on the last day of the year, but he probably left the office already for you know a, a nice ski vacation somewhere. So um, he and 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 others as well. We might even count Jack Dorsey stepping down from Twitter under this idea of. Uh, exactly tech companies losing executives to crypto companies in a sense. And there's a couple of people tweet. It says tech executives and engineers are quitting Google, Meta, Amazon, and other large companies for what they say is a once in a generation opportunity with crypto. Chris Dixon, who was the uh, original creator of Flickr and, uh, and then did what? What did Chris do after that? And I'm, mix, I'm mixing him up with Stuart. Sorry. Um, so Chris is an investor who... He was said, at A16s. Yeah. And he says, uh, well, he had a funny tweet. There's a bunch of people making comments about this, like uh, 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 Kara Swisher says, like I wrote last week, Web3 is happening. The, the new get rich faster job in Silicon Valley. And Alexis Ohanian, one of the... the original CEO of Reddit says it's happening a year ago. I started really banging on the web three drum. Keep watching where the talent goes. And this is an interesting point, which is talent will go where wealth creation goes. And this kind of is a interesting aspect or asset to facet to this whole conversation, which is how to incentivize the right get the brightest minds working on on the best solutions <laughs> and it's right but this this is the same as the what happened with wall street is that everyone went from the best universities to work on wall street and then they went to silicon valley and now all the silicon valley guys are moving to crypto but what they're doing is they're moving money to crypto but it's not the real type of decentralization which is why it's difficult because all those guys that could come to a public blockchain are not going to work for, for for the public good. They're going to go and get the big, you know, the big, you know, even a basic developer is getting three, four hundred thousand uh, dollars a year. I mean, how can you compete with that? Someone, you know, it's, yeah. the, it's just giant money and people don't turn that down when they don't have money. Right. Yeah. These kids didn't come to Silicon Valley or decide to do this work off the. I don't know the <laughs> the altruistic nature of this um the lifestyle it's very much i want to be evan spiegel i want to be mark zuckerberg i want to be jack dorsey like it's not necessarily the oh this might be web free but today i'm 22 i'm hungry and i need to eat so the next article is uh in 2021 nine more than 900 developers are projected to pass $1 million in annual revenue for the first time in Apple's App Store and Google Play Stores versus half that in 2016. And 
yeah, so there you go. The next one is a look at US satellite internet speeds with Starlink from SpaceX having a median download upload speeds of 87 megabits per second uh, down and 13.5 megabits per second up, followed by HughesNet with 19 megabits per second down and 2.5 megabits per second up. Satellite internet is making headlines across the globe as Starlink continues to launch service in new countries and Viasat plans to acquire Inmarsat. Next up is from the Financial Times that Walmart, Target, and others are trying to stop software bots from snapping up Christmas products before Christmas. Research says that bot traffic has risen 73% from October to November. Fast software bots scour retailer websites for popular toys and games to resell at higher prices, uh, exacerbating the supply chain problems this Christmas. And an Idaho-based a startup called Tackle.io, uh, which helps companies sell software on AWS and other cloud marketplaces, raises $100 million. Mike McDonald's, the hamburger company, is selling uh, something called Dynamic Yield, a startup that it acquired for $300 million a few years ago to help retailers offer personalized digital promotions, and they're selling it to MasterCard. And then Politico says they have sources revealing uh, details about Amazon's increasingly close relationship with the Department of Justice and the FBI as it tips off the those agencies about employees and third-party sellers. Amazon has increasingly tipped off the Justice Department and the FBI to investigate its own employees and the sellers using its platform, according to Politico's analysis. It says the company has increasingly tipped off the Justice Department and according to political analysis and dozen and a dozen interviews with Amazon employees, former federal prosecutors and fin financial crime experts. In addition, Amazon has hired dozens of former Department of Justice and FBI employees, some of whom are filling out its internal teams aimed at policing its platform. In the process, Amazon has built a closer relationship than many large companies have with federal law enforcement, a deep cooperation with one branch of the federal government that could help the company's reputation in Washington as Amazon faces intensifying scrutiny from Congress and federal agencies over its market dominance and fraud on its platform. The federal government has also indicted 20 people for crimes related to Amazon in the past year and a half, according to analysis of public records. Over the same period, the Department of Justice has announced three indictments against people committing criminal activity involving Walmart and two involving crimes related to FedEx. Meanwhile, 15 more people are under federal investigation for Amazon-related crimes, according to the Department of Justice. Six of the people indicted have pleaded guilty. 14 are awaiting trial. In many of those cases, Amazon either tipped off the government or cooperated closely with the investigations. Uh, quote, this looks like a huge and powerful company attempting to generate goodwill and appear to be cooperative with the government. And a former prosecutor who specialized in financial fraud and white-collar crime called Amazon's tighter relationship, quote, smart thing for a company like Amazon to do in the current political climate, in which other the other major tech companies are coming under greater re uh, regulatory scrutiny. It's interesting because it's different from a lot of the other tech companies, he said. He added that the other companies have mo a more passive relationship with law enforcement. 
you get the idea. So the, the Amazon's getting very cozy with the FBI and the Department of Justice, which might be able to whisper in the ears of uh, the regulators to not regulate Amazon because they're helping the Department of Justice and the FBI. If you believe in the deep state concept, then you can start, you can start your own room now and start that conspiracy theory right now. So the next one is, oh, we covered this multi-chain one that just got funding, something called Render Network, uh, a peer-to-peer -peer network that offers remote rendering power for 3D visuals, raises $30 million. That's kind of interesting. And the information says they have sources that despite publicly stepping down, ByteDance founder, uh, which is TikTok, uh, remains actively involved, focusing on long-term strategy. Zhang Yiming, founder of ByteDance, a Chinese company that owns TikTok, resigned as CEO and chair earlier this year. He no longer has any management title or board seat, yet according to sources of the information, is still actively involved. Okay? So he has to work because he's the visionary, but he can't have any power in the company i think that's kind of how i heard it i don't know whether anyone else heard it like that yeah um alexandra you had you wanted to make a comment about starlink alexandra on stage oh she had her hand up where'd she oh she just jumped down where'd she go there she is there we go go ahead alexandra hi hey. thank you um yeah for the starlink thing just um, I know that there's another, an African company that is doing something else in order to get all of the, um, the data for, uh, from areas that have Wi-Fi to areas that have no internet, no wire, no, and, and not even, uh, there was a discussion that we had about whether or not that particular plan was going to be defunct, what when Starlink happens, but what Starlink is doing, I don't know um, if there's any information on this in the article. I didn't get a chance to read it since I've been in my car, but um, one of the things is you have to buy a kit uh, in order to use Starlink and there's a monthly fee. And the statement that, uh, that I read was that you have to buy the kit and the kit and the fee is going to be around. Um, makes no sense to me, but that's what they had said. So they did this pilot program, I think in like, Ohio or Nebraska, forgive me, everyone, they run together for me, but, um, but one of those places, and they said it was, it was good, but it was expensive. It's something like $600 for the kit. And then the monthly fee is uh, like something around a hundred dollars, which is sort of the cable bill for everyone, for people in the U S but in Africa, where these other programs are, it, that entire amount is not tenable. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see so Starlink speed is really useful and they're, they're at the um, structure that they have is going to be very useful, provided it's actually available to people who don't already have some sort of Wi-Fi structure or something like that. So I think that that's, that's the one question that I have is how are they going to price this model, especially that since it seems like it's quite expensive for them to operate and the people who actually really need this where the biggest uptake would be will not be able to afford those prices. Okay. So the next one is uh, a MIT Tech Review. Uh, somebody wrote a piece 
titled A Framework for Fixing Social Media, Apply Lessons from Physical Cities, Prevent Fake Accounts, Improve Corporate Behavior, and Listen to Integrity Workers. We need to make our online spaces more similar to our offline ones to limit the reach of bad actors and keep people safe. And he's kind of implying that uh, having identity verification could help, right? Well, the, the tricky part is doing that in a way where maybe you could prove who you are who you are without uh, revealing yourself necessarily. Um, a company called Plain ID, which offers enterprise identity and access management tools, raises $75 million, kind of related to our main conversation. And TikTok faces allegations that it copied code from OBS Studio and other open source projects for their new TikTok Live Studio without adhering to licensing terms. Oh, what are you doing, TikTok? So this is a bit of a problem when a, one of the world's biggest companies is stealing open source code and for a private company, as this article alleges. But you, this is very easily either proven or disproven. So there's no point in a, in somebody claiming this unless they have evidence. So if it's free, open source code, it's uh, yeah, they can take it anywhere. That's it's a the, the story is is whoever's the the, the yeah, journalist doesn't know what it's all. If about. they're not following, if they're not in turn, mm. usually what will happen is if you take open source code, then whatever you're building must in turn also be open source. And I imagine they're not doing that. Is Metamask is a good point example as Metamask was open source MIT licensed and now they closed sourced it because it's owned by consensus so you know um, so um, BAT uh, took Metamask wallet and I think they've evolved it um, and open sourced it again but um, no it's uh, people can take the code and then uh, build on it and then not open source it's just not the dumb thing and the reason why is because it used to be uncool but now, you know, that's the whole point is that open source software is free speech and it needs that, you know, people should have a way to get paid for doing the work that they're doing. And that was the thing. People are contributing to this code, like people contributed to Twitter, contributed to Facebook, and then they, you know, decided to monetize and shut out all the developers and then they go so, to so, companies. So actually, MIT license, you can uh, distribute the binary without distributing the source, and that includes your modification. So there's no problem there. If you're talking about something that's copyleft,ed like GPL, uh, this is something that ha that has happened before, and the penalty is supposedly that you get, you know, if if you are found to have violated the license, in other words, by uh, redistributing the code but not making your modifications available, that's really what's at issue here. Um, uh, then, then the penalty for that, is, you know, other than than uh, damages in a court, is that you are banned from any using any other GPL licensed uh, code in the future. Now, the thing is, when you're dealing with companies, for instance, that are based in China, uh, enforceability becomes a real problem. Right. Yeah, Eli, and to add to that, it, it depends. So what Eli's pointing out is that there's different licenses out there. So GPL is copy left, which means that if you use it, they're, they're saying you've benefited from this. So you know how it, it uh, hooks into your code and you will now have to make the rest of your product that you built on this open source if it's strict GPL. But also the I think there's additional um, things in there like that you you cannot patent your product once you've used their GPL, but it's, um, but again, as Eli points out, there's different licenses and they have different requirements for how you can use it and what you must redistribute. Um, 
depending on what you do, a lot of them will say if you've actually modified the um, or improved the underlying open source, you need to reopen source that, but not the rest of your product. They tend to be a little bit more permissive. And it just it's a matter of looking at the license. And then the, the much bigger, more important um, aspect that Eli pointed out is enforceability, either in China or anywhere else. I mean, it's it's challenging. The question that I have about this, though, is so the developers create it based on um, open source code. Um, and it's it's basically theirs unless and until they sell it or do something to transfer it um, to whatever company that is is going to use it. How are they like assuming these are not employees, right? Because this is the base code for whatever it is that they're building. They're, you know, somehow in some way co-founders. How are they getting shut out if they own it? Right. Don't they have to don't don't doesn't the company in some way either have to purchase it from them or give them something in, in order to own it? Like, I, I mean, if if they're creating this new code based on open source, like either the company is stealing from the open source community in which everybody who's part of that community has, you know, a stake in whatever happens that in that outcome. But or if the developers are developing it separately based off of something from that open source community. And how are they? I just don't I'm not I just don't know enough about this. Okay. How are they getting shut out of that? If they are yeah, using I, I wanted to find with the GPL license, Alexandra. So I'm not it sounds I'm just looking at the title. I don't know the background here. I think Nicholas raised a good point, which is we have to question the journalist. But um. If they're using GPL without complying with the GPL license, then they would be, uh, is that what they're saying? Yeah, violating the GPL license, which requires that they open source certain um, portions Wait, of the but product. That's not, but that's not I, my, my question. Is they were, I think that the article said like that the developers were getting, were, were um, getting shut out of um, like they would take the code and then shut out the developers from the community. Now, are they talking about the developers who worked on the product for them? Or are they talking about all of the open source developers? Because I don't really know how they could shut out the developers that developed their core product uh, without the developers being okay with it. Um, or uh, if they're shutting out the developers in the entire community, then you would have to essentially say that somehow it was developed as part of the community, correct? I mean, it's so according to license. Can, can we start with how you can steal something that's open source? Like, I thought it was a stupid question at the beginning, but as we go on, it seems like it's a very because open source. Like, open source is a broad, broad term, and it's still subject, right? So every license, the different, there's standard licenses. There's GPL, there's um, Apache, there's different licenses as to how you can use that code. It still comes with terms and restrictions. It's not something that's just completely free, use it however you want, although that's what some people think. Okay, um, so it's like Getty then. So... Getty, right. there's some images you can get for free and some images you have to pay the photographer for like their residual check or whatever it is. Okay, right. but yeah. which which developers it, it are the developers? Well, just just which developers are the developers that are getting shut out? I understand there's a variety of licenses, etc. Are the developers in the entire open source community or is it the yes. developers for the product? No. It's, it's, um, it's hold on, hold TikTok's on, new... Oh, sorry. It's really simple. They took code, which re according to the license of that code requires their, the, whatever they build on top of it to also be open sourced. And they're not doing that. And that's the whole problem. Nistan, did you want to, you, are you familiar with this particular TikTok using OBS's uh, GPL based code? Uh, I'm, I'm not really surprised they, they violated it. There's there's a few other apps that, that use OBS streamer yeah. a lot and have built their own stuff on it and just change it up around this 
I feel like this just has become a high profile case because most of TikTok's dev team is in China. So right. it's pretty easy to politicize this, but I don't think it's, it's more like a random mistake that they used open source software and uh, they didn't credit it. But this is also so common uh, that it's not, it wouldn't really be a big deal if it, w but it's TikTok doing it. So it's, it's a bigger deal. That's and this is this and, is politics. No, this is right, a couple of politics. Yeah, but there's also a couple of points to this. This isn't the first time this has happened. Okay, if you remember, Red Hat used to be open sourced, mm -hmm. then it became closed source, and then they forked it at that point and created another open source piece called CentOS. And then once Red Hat got bought by IBM, then they cut down the open source piece. That was the first one. The second one where this has happened is Elasticsearch used to be open source. And then with that, um, when they made a closed source IBM, uh, it wasn't IBM, it was Amazon forked it and continued to grow the open source version and offer it as part of AWS because they wanted to make it open source and um, things like that. The key yeah, thing to remember source, is right? once it's forked, okay, they're going to go two different directions, and it all depends on who who gets what credit for what. There, there's there's an additional point here, um, and that is, you know, they could have avoided this at least for for some instances of GPL code, because a standard business model that people don't know about for software developers is to uh, release something GPL, uh, but then be then give commercial licenses to uh, sell commercial licenses to it to to people who want to use it with proprietary code. Uh, and, you know, there are people who make their livings this way, uh, actually. But uh, people who, who haven't really gotten dive deep into this may not know about it. But the thing is, their developer, the TikTok's developer should have known everything about this and could have avoided it, most likely, unless it was one of the cases where uh, developers as a group work on something and specifically are against any commercial licensing. So it was locally like a hack and sack where they're, because they're building a new product for the live streaming. So they used part of the code and then they didn't, and tried to build around it and didn't remove whatever they used. And now it's a case basically. Yeah, I'm going back to the person who pointed out that a lot of these companies are doing it with, um, and that it's just because it's TikTok that it's getting hype. A lot of companies, so to Eli's point, you can get a lot of open sources available via an open source license or separately as a commercial license. And the commercial license can either be that you pay for it and so you don't have to um, use the, you know, submit to the GPL requirements, or they actually will add a um, additional functions and features around it, like software support and those types of things, and actually build a business around it. So the developers in any robust platform who knows these days what's robust and what's not lifecycle wise would know what goes with that code and how they're using it and what restrictions apply but they may not i mean you know, you'd think they would but who knows um honestly but it's that somebody as someone pointed out a lot of companies do this it's just that this one is tiktok and so we want to hype it um if you know if people try to do these um i think it's like the, the stats are around 80 percent of commercial code or products out there 
or commercial products built about 80% around open source, which is why there's going to be a lot of issues going forward with security. Will and won't. I mean, one thing is that there people don't build things from scratch. They don't start things. They, you know, there's no point in reinventing the wheels to what's already out there. And that's great. And a lot of the open source is hugely robustly um, built. It's got the community support. It's got, you know, people's interest. They like to have um, good code and build and, and enable others, and that's where open source started. But it just it sounds like this is getting hyped because it's TikTok. Yeah, can I um, can I ask uh, uh, you, Jennifer Nicholas, uh, a question about your thoughts? Um, I've done a lot of work in the open source world, and you're constantly fending off um, schemes to take the open source, fork it, and monetize it. And so. In in sort of my experience, the the uh, proper boundary between open source and uh, conventional capitalism has to do with what are the things that are necessary for infrastructure, like identity, privacy, um, the ability to control your own data, the ability to control your own, own resources. Um, and so, it, but but on the on the entrepreneurial capitalistic side, there's a whole lot of virtue in providing financial incentives for people to build applications on top of that that respect the basic services around identity, privacy, and so forth. So, um, are either of you aware, or have you yourselves written a good uh, framework? And and Nicholas refers to the Declaration of Digital Independence um, or the Digital Declaration of Independence, whichever way. Um, has anybody uh, published a draft that you're aware of of how to better define a safe space for open source to play, a safe space for entrepreneurial capitalism to play, and the, the, the negotiated boundary between those two business models vis-a-vis -vis infrastructure and applications? Yes. Again, brilliant question. Very short answer to that is you should definitely go and read the Veris.io white paper. And this is exactly uh, the point that you need to, where identity is important, security is important, and, and the blockchain is important is that it enables a developer-based community that because of it being free and open source and it has having the identity layer at the base layer with privacy and with recoverability and all of those other features is once you have peer-to-peer -peer exchange of value, it creates a, an open playing field for everybody and it creates a, a disincentive away from forking but to create a namespace and utilize the um, uh, the fractal nature of words and of namespace and the inherency of the software, again, being a bit technical, but it, that structure is like nature and it can enable even a small um, uh, new uh, blockchain if it has a good idea to leverage the entire network because it's connected to the entire network. Uh, wait, yeah, I, could you, could I you, I'm sorry, before before you go on, okay. sorry, could you just back channel um, the reference so that either Cheryl or Tyler could pin it to the top so everybody could have access to it? I, I think I think that is a very central part of this discussion is to be able to, to upload the white paper. Yeah, it's on the, yeah. it's on the website. Um, I'll I'm, I'm yeah, while he finds it, can I just quickly? Because we send it to WhatsApp. 
Can I just quickly say something that um Jaron Lanier um on the Lex Friedman podcast he spoke about this and he speaks about this openly as well. But the Lex Friedman podcast, his episode is particularly where you can find it the most easiest place. Um he spoke about having some sort of open source slash TikTok, which is people working together and conglomerizing um type dynamic with this web free and whatever everybody wants to call it. I call it the blockchain, right? And continuously create one one on top of the other and using the virality that TikTok has versus, you know, just the nature of what open source is. So um I could reference Jared Lanier for that as well. Yeah, any, anything written by Jared is worth reading. I don't think TikTok is doing any Web3 projects at, at the moment. The, the, the problem in this case was that in the past, TikTok's APIs have allowed you to take way much more private information about a person than you're supposed to. So you, you could just like query anyone and get a whole bunch of stuff about them. So that's been the main complaint with TikTok. And now the complaint is that they're using um, OBS streamer, which a lot of TikTokers use and gamers use, uh, which is supposed to be free, but they're using it as their own software without giving credit. So they're, uh, they're just going haphazardly uh, about it, like I think that I, I don't, I, yeah, yeah. A, a, anyway, they're, they're they're just not not being too nice about how they're using how they're using their code. That's that's the whole thing. That's that's the whole controversy. Right, but but so so this is what I think is worth the general audience understanding. But it that... has nothing to do with Web three and blockchain. Like we could go and talk about. That. Agreed. Agreed. This has nothing to do with that. Agreed. Agreed. These are these are the bigger issues of how do you uh, have collective value because those. Um, open source contributors have created value, and so they they have a a you know golden rule right to be pissed off if they're not being treated equally. They're giving uh, in in a, in a way, and then they're not receiving, and someone is is monetizing them. And so, I, just for the general audience, that is the benefit of having uh, blockchain technologies is that it enables public ownership of collective assets like. Um, uh, the value that is created by software and i think that that's something that's worth on the connecting those two dots to say oh you know now you've got an economic model for enabling contributors across the world which is what open source does to benefit from their innovations so it's worthwhile joining the dots whilst i agree it's not a particularly a blockchain thing Okay. Uh, one solution to just just quickly, if I may, one solution to this problem could be kind of what Epic has done with some of the open source software that their community is heavily using, which is just make a donation to the foundation that runs the software or maintains the software, and that way it's a good faith gesture instead of what will inevitably be some sort of long litigation process. Otherwise. Okay. So the next article is a COVID nineteen. Mortality tied to, not A, let me start that again. It says COVID-19 mortality tied to neurologic manifestations in older adults. Up to one third of COVID-19 patients experienced at least one neurologic manifestation and about 2% experienced stroke, according to a systematic review and meta-analysis published in Neurology. Studies have showed COVID-19 impacts the central nervous, peripheral nervous, and musculoskeletal systems of patients and 
Cases involving neurological symptoms are increasing. According to the researchers, they sought to determine the manifestations association with COVID-19 severity and mortality. They searched for observational studies published in 2020 in PubMed, Embase, Medline, Google Scholar, and others uh, that reported at least one new onset neurologic manifestation due to con due to confirmed and probable causes of, of COVID-19. They assessed the study's risk of bias utilizing the Joanna Briggs Institute tool and, and controlled the false discovery rate with the Benjamini Hochberg procedure. A total of 350 studies involving 55 countries were included in the systematic review. Of the 145,000 COVID cases identified, 129,000 involved hospitalizations. 84.6% of the studies had low risk bias, 14% had moderate risk. The most common of 24 identified neurological symptoms were fatigue, myalgia, myalgia or fatigue, headache, dizziness, headache and dizziness, smell impairment, taste impairment, smell and da da da. But it was uh, fatigue was 32%. 33 studies involved 17 neurological diagnoses. The most common neurological diagnosis was stroke. This uh, at two percent. This included one percent of isemic stroke or transient attacks. There you go. So, uh, hey Tyler, Tyler, can I do a short riff on that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, in my profile, the the study that I pinned to the very top of my profile that I've had up there for months and months is a study published well over six months ago from the UK Biobank demonstrating clear, clear loss of cortical gray matter that is progressive long after the infection, long after you can detect any virus in the brain. And so the hypothesis is that the virus in very minute quantities infects the brain, triggers an immune response, and the immune response continues even after the virus is removed. A study from Cleveland Clinic showed, the GWAS studies of the genomics showed that the risk of severe COVID um, in genetically has a huge overlap with the risk for Alzheimer's disease on GWAS. You have to take that with a grain of salt because it's not cause effect, it's just correlation. Um, there are other studies uh, prior to this meta-analysis showing a high prevalence of these neurologic symptoms. So uh, for people who um, have asked me, why should I bother sheltering myself from COVID? I'm fully vaxxed and boosted, and so what if I get a mild flu? We know that long COVID symptoms can result from very, very mild disease, and I'm currently pursuing uh, a, a case where there, uh, someone who may have had an asymptomatic infection has all the symptoms of long COVID. And so the point here is that uh, a fully vaxxed person who doesn't have uh, underlying immunosuppression is fairly safe from death. Um, with Omicron, hospitalization is still an issue, but not, not so far a high, high death. But the bottom line is, my view is wear a mask, socially distance, save your brain. Um, if you rely on your brain for anything in life, hopefully that includes everybody, um, this is a real threat to your long-term 
um, health, happiness, peace, ability to uh, perform work. So um, this study is only confirmation of what has been well illustrated many times in the past year. And it's just a matter of quantifying and qualifying the risk, those at risk, and how we're going to manage in the future. The good news is there's a lot of research going on about anti-inflammatories across the blood-brain barrier in the Alzheimer's research world. Um, and hopefully that will apply equally well to this phenomenon and people suffering long COVID. Thank you for that, John. So the next one is so kind of related. Uh, uh, Katerina found an interesting one, as she always does, that uh, it says, can a dangerous microbe offer a new way to silence pain? A specific anthrax toxin blocks multiple types of pain in mice, a new study reports. And the next one is that the U.S. is charging former uh, Russian intelligence hackers with hacking uh, the stock market, <laughs> basically. Uh, five different gentlemen who basically, uh, where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Uh, yeah, the U.S. charges five Russian hackers for stealing and front-running the earnings announcements from Tesla, Snapchat, and others. Federal authorities have charged five Russian nationals for allegedly stealing and front-running hundreds of corporate earnings announcements from the likes of Tesla and Snapchat. On Monday, the U.S. Attorney's Office um, levied both criminal and civil charges against the five, quote, the integrity of our nation's capital markets and of its computer networks are priorities for my office, says the U.S. Uh, uh, attorney. Under the plot, which lasted more than two years, the alleged hackers broke into the systems of two U.S. vendors that helped publicly traded companies prepare what are then still private securities filings according to the Justice Department and the SEC. Then, using a total of more than 500 corporate earnings announcements that were collected over the scheme's lifetime, the defendants allegedly traded on the information, often, oftentimes days ahead of its public release, netting themselves profits of at least $82.5 million in the process. According to the Department of Justice's charging papers, among the other companies whose information was used in the plot included a Grubhub and IBM. So they were able to hack in, these Russian hackers were able to figure out the earnings reports before they were publicly announced and traded on them. And one of those hackers also hacked it, was the same hacker who was already wanted by the U.S. for hacking into the uh, Democratic National Party. Um, and, hey, Tyler, that's a great uh, example. People, if they don't just steal data. So this is an example of stealing IP, right? So it's just another example for people. Like, they can get anything. And that's a great yeah so uh, not only that but you but you've 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 created you've shown two clear meta narratives right so if you were thinking about what are the messages that the government is trying to send out it's trying to send out the russian hackers are you know and it's a very obvious insider attack and 82 million it's not very much when you consider what's been GameStop and amc and people powered mimetic you know trading so it's really small potatoes but it's telling a story about russian hackers and it's like you say, somewhat politically motivated, it sounds. And in the same way with TikTok example, that's nation that uh, Nicholas, your mic cut. Yeah, sorry. Um I was saying that, that that's those are meta narratives and that they want that seeded. That's why I say look at the journalist on the previous story and about the open source world. 
there's a lot of things that are going on which are positioning for what's coming, which is this, you know, we've got this uneasy um, tension between the US and China and the Russians stirring in. And you've got a lot of social change that is going on inside of countries. And the media is part of it. And the narrative that they want to seed, you know, is what you have to look at, I think. But I don't think it's seeded. It. I think, as you described it, it is inevitable. I mean, those are clearly their interests, the interests of China and the interests of Russia. So it's not really a seeded narrative. It's just a inevitable narrative. Yeah. Right. I'm just saying the narrative is becoming clearer. The games are being played so that people can see, you know, this is, this is just narrative shaping is all i'm saying and yes these things exist the, the 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 open source stuff exists the russian stuff exists but so do massive exploits in you know the mainstream economy which is being participated by 16 year olds on reddit you know right right so exactly w words matter i mean this is really going to words matter and references matter so references to countries matter to nicholas's point this is how media shapes um we we are highly media driven country right we don't politics doesn't drive media media drives politics here so how they're shaping us and whether they're doing it the direction of our politicians which is another way that um things are communicated you know softly nudged to people to be aware of these but it's it, look at the the narrative behind it and just the interest as we've noted um these are two examples where it wouldn't have been an issue if it wasn't TikTok using that GPL code that way. And here again, Russian hackers. We're going to hear about Russian and Chinese hackers all the time. But remember, we've got plenty of um, internal hackers, right? This is you know, a worldwide problem. Okay. Next up, Katerina found this one, that research that potentially leaks links autism and brain gut microbiome. A new review of almost 200 publications suggests that the gut microbiota may play a critical role in modulating brain function, social behavior, and other symptoms of autism. And the next one is on, from... Just on the microbiome, there's going to be a lot of uh, research that's coming out. Um, a friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Dari Shalon, who was part of the uh, Human Genome Project, is working on the, uh, the biome in Stanford and uh, MIT. And... Um, what he's told me is that the gut is the uh, the medicine cabinet and the technologies that are coming out and that they're going to be able to, I think it's going to be published in Nature pretty soon, um, is going to be revolutionary. And that's going to enable lots of um, diagnoses and lots of cures. Cool. So Thomas Tong just shared one. I just retweeted Thomas's tweet to the Tech News Twitter account about a really interesting uh, part of the brain has been mapped. And what's happening, this is happening very quickly, as I said it would, where they've now figured out a very clever hack to map the brain. And what they do is they put on VR goggles and then put the person in an MRI machine. And so now you can map parts of the brain responsible for any kind of experience you want to figure out. So you can figure out, you know, how you can't, if you want to know how people feel uh, about the, the fear of heights and what part of the brain is responsible for a fear of heights, it's not easy to take an MRI machine to the top of a mountain, but you don't need to. You just put somebody in a VR headset where they feel like they're on, you know, on a very high, uh, experiencing that ex experience in that environment. And then you 
you just throw them into an MRI machine. So the article I just tweeted is that now for the first time, scientists have mapped the brain regions responsible uh, for the female clitoris. And that could be very interesting in the metaverse, especially the OnlyFans part of the metaverse. I didn't so say sensation really to virtual this. experience is one of the number one things people are doing. So we're going to see not just appendages added to hands and heads, but probably to private parts as well. And that would be the easiest transition. Yeah. I was going to say two things. Uh, first, on your Oculus comment, there is an amazing speech that I would recommend, TED Talk, by a woman called Dr. Nancy Canwisher. And she talks about um, uh, the area of the brain that it has facial recognition, which is just above the, the earlobe. And she, uh, they used to have a screen. They, they did this MRI technology that you're talking about, but they just used to have a screen. And it used to be between, um, she used to, she tells the story anyway, but it's about inanimate objects and faces. And so we have facial recognition. She figured out from flashing these different images. Listen to her speech. It is amazing. But it also, the revelatory piece of it is they had uh, the top of somebody's uh, head had been removed because they had epilepsy. And they put uh, this person through the, this protocol. And at the end of it, she asked uh, the, the subject what, you know, what it was like when they switched this part of his brain off. And he said, not only did I not know who my doctor was, who had been under control of some, some under uh, observation by for some 12 years or something, but he said, I didn't know who I was. And so this, for me, that was one of the, when I watched that years ago, I was like, oh, wow, that's an amazing thought. So to your point of control and perceptions, controlling behaviors, and to understanding that this will be employed across uh, everything that we're doing. And to go back to John's point about, you know, the seriousness of the blood brain barrier and COVID and, you know, witnessing younger people having a stroke. One of my friends just had a stroke three weeks ago and um, understanding that that might be just, you know, correlation, but understanding that the, this is actually what's driving people into these metaverses where they will have these crossover experiences, which goes back to the question of singularity, which goes back to the question of identity, as you, as you rightly say, and the freedom to uh, participate in these things online. And that's why, you know, again, a digital declaration of independence is going to be required because we are moving that way for all these different reasons. It all goes back to the same thing. All right, next up is one from Katerina that uh, plant, plant scientists find a recipe for anti-cancer compound in herbs. Thyme and oregano possesses an anti-cancer compound that suppresses tumor development, but adding more to your tomato sauce isn't enough to gain a uh, benefit. <laughs> but hopefully they figure that out very soon, sooner than later. And the next one from Evan that China's top influencer has been fined $210 million and has now been erased from the internet. Uh, Via is her name, used to be a national icon for her sales skills, but she's falling out of Beijing's favor. And so now she's being heavily fined and disappeared. And the next one's from NBC News that the Food and Drug Administration approves first injectable HIV prevention drug. They've approved the first long-acting injectable medication for use as a pre-exposure prevention against HIV. 
and TikTok is launching delivery-only restaurants across the U.S. in March. They're preparing to launch a new service that will turn its viral food videos into meals you can actually order and enjoy. Social commerce, here it comes. The next one is from the Wall Street Journal exclusive, which says China's growing access to global shipping data is starting to worry some folks. Beijing can track cargo uh, and cargo ships with a little known system called Logink, L-O-G-I-N-K, potentially gaining intelligence and commercial advantage. And we covered the Russian, oh, because the, those, one of those Russian hackers we talked about who were front running the earnings reports was in Switzerland and Switzerland uh, extradited the Russian hacker to the US to be you know, dealt with. Russia has condemned the extradition of a Kremlin linked businessman, quote unquote, from Switzerland to the United States amid suspicion he could be charged with hacking. So Russia's upset that Switzerland sent him back to the US. Um, the next one from RCC, the most serious security breach ever is unfolding right now. We've been reading about it, it's still ongoing. And a common piece of code used by thousands of companies for years has turned out to contain one of the most serious cybersecurity risks of the internet age. That's a perfect tee up for you, Jonathan Data, uh, to give us an update if you would on on this uh, log 4j, if I recall, this uh, Java class vulnerability that's rather ubiquitous across the web at the moment, but he might be listening remote, you know, multitasking. So, or, or dealing with the, the, that, that massive vulnerability. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's another article about the TikTok kitchens. Order your favorite TikTok recipes from TikTok kitchens starting in March. The delivery only service plans to reach 1,000 locations by the end of the year. That's that's fast deployment, and that's what you can do with dark kitchens. And a new document. Oh, wait, Patrick, can you talk yes. to hear me? I don't know if you have... Yeah, I, that's actually a really big deal because they're going to the cloud kitchens or dark kitchens as you're calling them. Remember Travis when he left Uber? That was his big bet. Next big bet is these cloud kitchens that are in a knockout restaurants, right? Because you can do anything there. And then if they're doing TikTok recipes, um, are they licensing those from all those delicious food people who are creating them? I mean, a lot of them are super simple, well, but um, it, yeah. It definitely, it definitely makes me recall uh, Mr. Beast's hamburgers where he partnered with the dark kitchens and, and essentially to create 500 hamburger restaurants simultaneously for his hamburger. And essentially influencers could tap into this with TikTok in an interesting way. And TikTok, could, as we know, we know now this will be very interesting to see for those of us who are- If they're working with the influencers, that's it. The question is, are they getting those recipes from the influencers? Well, even more so. TikTok is unique in that TikTok might even choose what they want to be the 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 viral sensation, right? Because TikTok yeah, McDonald's coming to all of us Americans. I can see it now. McDonald's and milkshakes. We're about to get hit. Uh, we're probably the most incredibly dangerously saturated fat food ever imaginable. Is I'm is is what I assume. That's people. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the next article is from. Forbes that new documents revealed that the U.S. Navy battled drones harnessing destroyers. 
when swarms of drones harassed the U.S. destroyers during the 2019 exercise, a variety of measures were deployed to counter them. Censored Navy drone logs give tantalizing new details about uh, the U.S. Navy being harassed by a swarm of drones. So it's already happening, as I said, would happen. And it's going to continue to happen in escorts in a very big way. P.T. Yoder sends in this one that security flaws found in popular guest Wi-Fi systems used in hundreds of hotels. The gateway maker said the device is end of life and won't receive security patches. So, so good luck with your hotel Wi-Fi uh, exposing your devices. And Netta shared this one. Oh, it's the Chinese queen of live streaming that we talked about is being fined $210 million and disappearing. That's unfortunate. And Lavina shares this one that an AR VR laptop, the world's first VR AR laptop called Z Space, is a laptop that fuses the elements of AR and VR to create lifelike experiences that facilitate experimental experiences. And Lavina also shares this one that MIT researchers just discovered an AI mimicking the brain on its own. AI can tell us a lot about the brain. Learn how MIT researchers discovered machine learning mimicking both brain function and evolution. That sounds crazy. So I just retweeted Levine's tweet to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. Malormi just found this one that Stanford University is now offering a class, uh, uh, offering a course to young entrepreneurs, which requires them to build a Bitcoin crowdfunding system as that becomes the hot new skill set to learn. And wind turbines will be, will be built inside a national park. In the latest bleak development, big wind will produce big hydrogen in a remote Namibia, uh, in, in remote Namibia. Okay. And then the next one from Thomas Tong, a new hypersonic wind tunnel will put China 20 to 30 years ahead of the West. A new announcement from China shows as a soon-to-be-unveiled wind tunnel in Beijing will be used to test hypersonic weapons technology. And Thomas Tong sends in this one about the anthrax toxin, maybe the key to a new pain-blocking therapies. We just read that one. Evan shares this one that says, Goodbye rubber. New steel tires last a lifetime on industrial vehicles. So I just tweeted that one. And a Swedish startup Hold now here's a great now this is a great example. This next article is something I'm intimately familiar with. It involves people I know personally, who I work with personally. And the headline right off the bat is completely stupid and utterly wrong. And this is the point is whenever you read articles that you know intimately personally, you're stunned by how misinformed they are. And here it is. And the first line is wrong right from the start. It says, a Swedish startup Epicenter unveils rice-sized microchip implant that stores your COVID vaccine passport under your skin and is read with technology used to take contactless payments. Here's the problem. The first three words, Swedish startup Epicenter unveils rice-sized microchip. Epicenter is not a startup. It's a co-working space. And they're not really the ones behind it. The, the person behind it is Hannes who we, the geeks in Stockholm, all know fairly well. And he's been doing these NFC chip embeds under your skin for years, like nearly 10. And 14, 14. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm being conservative. So Hannes has been doing this for the people who work at Epicenter so that they can open the door to go into Epicenter. And you can program it to do all kinds of things. And so he's just reprogrammed it to show your vaccine passport. That's what happened. So the headline that a Swedish startup called Epicenter uh, unveils a new rice-sized microchip implant that it's, you see how I'm saying, how when you know, uh, first of all, Epicenter is not a startup. Uh, anyway, um, it's not a product that they're selling or anything like that. This is just for Hannes just did a little tweak uh, to add another little function to the uh, NFC implants that he's been doing for a very long time. Anyway, it's a it's a smart PR piece. It gets a bunch of attention. And uh, I will tweet it out to the Tech News Twitter account, as we, as we always do. And thank you to whoever sent that one in. And I have still four hours of tweets to go through, but we got to pause at some point because we are uh, now three and a half hours into what was meant to be, or where, what are we at? Two and a half hours in what was meant to be a two hour session. So we will hold on the other four hours of tweets that I have left remaining and we'll save those for tomorrow. And I hope you can join us and thank you to everybody and especially Nicholas for just blowing our minds as usual on all things uh, identity and blockchain and the whole top story of the day with Jack Dorsey and, uh, and Web3. So thank you to Nicholas and everybody for helping us do it yet again and we'll do it again tomorrow. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. This was such a brilliant conversation. See you all soon. Thank you. Thank you. Learned so much today.